When I was a girl, I fell in love with finding secret things. Some of the biggest secrets are right in plain sight. We don't see them because we can't see them. We've been taught not to see them. They're willful secrets, chosen secrets, blind spots. And the biggest blind spot of all is how society impacts men and what ignoring that impact means for all of us. Like a furry torpedo to the jugular. This is Honey Badger Radio. Radio Bite. Hello and welcome to Honey Badger Radio. My name is Allison Tiemann and with me is Hannah Wallen, well hopefully, and Brian Martinez. And we will be your hosts for this HBR Digest where we go over the last week in Badger. As always, if you want to support the show, mosey on over to feedthebadger.com for a number of exquisite and delectable feed options. And if you'd like to get a taste of our community, please head over Don't do that. Head on to... <laughs> over to badgernation.online and enjoy our public square. Feeling social isolation blues? Have fun with fellow Badger fans. So feedthebadger.com to make sure these shows keep coming and badgernation.online to sample the fun in our community. And let's talk about that fun. The fun keeps coming and it doesn't stop coming. So I actually think I was the one who brought this up. Or no, Mm. were you the one who brought up the Rachel Paris says women are knackered? So, yeah, I think it was a thing that was sent to us from the suggestions in our patron discord. And because uh, they've been much more engaged in that lately and sending us things. So I'm pretty sure this Rachel Paris thing was that. Where essentially it's a BBC show of some kind. I don't really know uh, what it's called. I don't know much about that that over there, what's going on with the people across the pond. But um, Rachel Paris is a comedian and she was talking about or using um, an unfortunate uh, tragedy of Sarah Everard as a launch pad so that she can basically complain about men, complain about misogyny, and other oh yeah um, i remember this now. other things you remember that now where she said oh you know we're all so tired and yeah these are sliding off of my memory pan a lot faster than they were before no i remember that i i remember her particular brand of illogic not only ascribing the actions of a very small genetically deviant emotionally damaged group of human males to men and manliness and masculinity in general. But she did something else that was really annoying as well. What was it that she did? Oh yeah, that's right. Men are horrible. Uh, you, you guys are all horrible villains. Now save me. Yes. And also... You're horrible, uh, horrible, horrible villains. You're the yeah. worst villains. You're the worst villains possible. You are absolute trash. You're morally depraved. Now let me appeal to that those ethics and virtues and principles and care for women that I've just said you can't possibly have as men. Mm-hmm. Boy. Yeah, so yeah. I got I got it right. I remembered it right. Okay. Yeah, if you have something more to say to that or No, no, I think it's pretty much well covered. It's feminist comedy. Oh, uh, we'll take that as it is. That's, Jesus, uh, no, they they can't use that word comedy because no, uh, no, no, it's the it's no, the no. Comedy's most you, after comedic after listening to a comedian, comedian, you're supposed to feel good, you know. I guess that's yeah. where feminists they don't understand things. They don't understand like a- activities that humans engage in that actually are about service to the people who are paying attention to you. 
or service to somebody else besides yourself. So yep. if you get on a stage and you make everybody feel like shit and you tell no jokes and you insult them morally and you bully them in terms of their, you know, being, that's not comedy. You know, that's be you being an asshole. Okay, so this is Richard Paris who's saying women are knackered. And we think that's cute that she says that. <laughs> you like to hear more on that score? This is Maintaining Frame number four with myself and Brian Martinez. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Honey Badger Radio. My name is Brian. I'm here with Allison, and this is Maintaining Frame. We didn't number these, so I guessed at number four. But I'm not positive about that. I think that seven, sounds maybe seven. right. I don't think it's that Yeah, many. it's Maintaining Frame between four and seven. Somewhere in the... Somewhere there, of, somewhere in, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, we probably go back and give them numbers. So today, I have a video <clears throat> from this is a I believe this is a BBC show called the Dave TV Channel. Well, that's what the YouTube channel is called, um, and I assume it's British because they all have English accents, and it's kind of like a late night comedy show. And they bring out this comedian, and I use the term loosely, named Rachel Paris, who is going to do a comedy bit on misogyny because misogyny is hilarious. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah. That's... yeah, that's mm. basically it. I mean, it's hosted by this guy who I don't even know his name. And um, David, maybe Dave, um, maybe he's Dave. Uh, I don't you think don't she actually, say Dave. I don't want to say that because she doesn't use that name, but I already forgot it. Cause he's not really important. Uh, it's her bit. Mm. He's just the host. So mm -hmm. that's what we're looking at. That's basically what's going on. So let's go ahead, I guess, and just jump feet first into this shit. In the last few weeks, we've been all too aware of the scale of violence against women in our country. So for more on this, Please welcome Rachel Paris. Wait. Wait, yes. wait. Yeah. This is a comedy bit? Yes, this is a comedy bit. Now, Nish, when I talk about an epidemic of male violence against women, do you feel an urge to immediately step in and say, it wasn't me? No, not really. <laughs> no. Oh, for love of God. You're not a prick. Okay, stop. I just did. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, you are succeeding in liquefying my colon, lady. <laughs> Not making me laugh, though. I, yeah. I see where you're going with this. This is the typical. And, you know, recently I sent out a tweet. Um, we are too defensive when we use the term not all men because that's what she's referring to right yeah. she's saying oh you have a you you want to step in and defend the fact that i'm offering a vicious and hurtful and mean-spirited stereotype of a group that you belong to oh and, and i don't mean that you're indian i mean you're a guy um and she's what you want to step in and defend yourself from that well that makes you an asshole right not all men is too defensive and it's too it's it's too mild of a rebuke so few men so few men 
that you have to ask why a woman like this is choosing to focus on them to define men and masculinity rather than all of the men who actually put themselves in danger to save women and girls, other men and boys. So really, what is your agenda? I'm not going to even say not all men. So few men that you are choosing to focus on them. What's her name again? Rebecca? Uh, Rachel Paris or Paris. Rachel Paris. You are choosing to focus on them and choosing to exclude the vast majority of men. The vast majority of men sacrifice to keep people safe, to focus on the bad actors. Why? Why are you doing that? And it is tricky to know the meaning of a word that affects 51% of the population. I mean, what do you expect him to do? Look it up? <laughs> He's a very busy man, Nish. Now, in recent weeks, we've seen the sentencing of police officer Wayne Cousins for the rape and murder of Sarah Everard. A man has been charged... Oh, jeez, really? Yeah, he oh, well, was... Well, then justice is served. No, no, no. Clearly, we have to lock all men up so that they won't harm women. Or something. We to, yeah, we have to re-educate them in camps, maybe. We could like have like a summer camp of education, but but we're doing it again, so it's more like a re-education camp. Yeah, and we'll, well send not, the men there. Well, I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> I'm support. I'm sorry, Rachel, but if uh, a man's mother teaches him to be a violent sociopath by beating him, or you know, putting out her cigarettes on his body, or raping him. It's there's not much that feminists can do after the fact to uh, to blame him for the to blame all men for for the violence that abused sociopaths do. You know, there's not much you can do to clean up after that unless you actually want to create services for abused men. You know, and actually yeah. try to identify those abused boys who might go on, which is a minority of abused boys who might go on to abuse others. But no, let's take the behavior of men who are more genetically distinct from the average man, that is rapists, let's just talk about rapists now, more genetically distinct from the average man, like twice as genetically distinct from the average man as a gay man is from a straight man, and let's accuse all men of their behavior. Because God knows, straight men are responsible for gayness, the behavior of gay men. Does that make any fucking sense? No, it doesn't. It makes no sense. It makes zero sense. You make zero sense. ...of Sabina Nessa, and this week, another two or three women in the UK will be murdered by a man. Like every week. This is evidence of misogyny. Sorry, best be clear, misogyny against women. <laughs> How many men are going to die that week? Well, it doesn't matter because they're not being killed by by uh by women mm. although there are quite a few men being killed by women and in fact men women are more likely to kill men than men are to kill a woman so when a woman kills someone it's most likely to be a man whereas when a man, a man kills, kills someone it's most likely to also be a man yes yeah and sure like what well, you could prove a lot of things with these statistics now okay rebecca is it Re or rachel rachel now Rachel. do uh, no do no do immigrants versus landed British national like uh, men, you know generation who people who've been generationally British for a while. Let's do those stats on murder. Yeah. Uh, how about oh, uh, no. white person versus that. not? No, no, no. And the reason why I bring that up is because 
that doesn't mean anything either. Mm -hmm. Violence is often the last resort of the disenfranchised. Hmm? It's been common throughout history. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure there was, uh, if you go through uh, the, the roles on people being hung during antebellum South, it's a lot of black people killing their, their, their white masters. Now I imagine that there must have been black or black people killed by their white masters, but you don't see that in the roles because I guess nobody nobody bothered to record it, which is also sort of I'm not saying it's exactly, but it's in a similar vein of the situation of women's violence against men. Just like everybody laughed at your abuse of your co-host or whatever he is, people laugh when women engage in violence against men and they ignore it. And they pretend it doesn't exist and cops don't persecute it. You know, some, a mm. woman attempts to murder. It's just, 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 it's just a laugh. She attempts to murder her husband by running him over. Oh my God. That's hilarious. In fact, your entire comedy routine, what if it can be called a comedy routine is predicated on the idea that abusing men is funny because the only thing that was even remotely funny was your abuse of a man, which wasn't particularly funny, but I'm saying it's the only thing that could possibly be qualified as funny. All right. Yeah. Well, especially if he's in on it, because, you know, then, you know, yeah. but it only but but it also exposes why it works. So. Yeah. All right. And these are not isolated incidents. They're part of a daily culture of misogyny that controls women and limits our freedom and diminishes us. Catcalling, violent porn. Again, jokes on again. Water. Yeah. None of which have been shown to be a causal factor and um, whether or not a boy goes on to be a rapist. None of this stuff is a mm. causal factor. Yeah, it, there may be correlation between certain behaviors and sexual aggression in men, but they're not causation. If other hate crimes exist in law, then I think misogyny should be one of them. Yeah, that's why it shouldn't exist. <laughs> you guys need to get rid of that shit damn quick because these people... I'm telling you, man, like I, I heard about, um, well, I, I've already talked about this, but a while back when I, there was like rumblings that they might include misandry as a hate crime as well. And people were like, oh, well, at least it's equal. No, that's not going to give you what you want. That's only going to make things worse. And on top of that, it's going to make it harder to criticize. Um, misandry would not work as a hate crime because men are not likely to report it. And women and the the government are not likely to take accusations seriously, so it's not gonna it's not gonna pan out. Don't bother. The state does not solve your problems. The state creates your problems. It's the least the criminal justice system can do, and that's the exact amount they like to do. <laughs> so if misogyny is both not important enough to learn the meaning of the word and too enormous for the government to tackle, what can we do about it? Um, oh, for the love of God. Yeah. Could you imagine the police making the world safe for this woman's feels? Like she would, the, the government would literally need six men. And it would there, be men, you would, know. Of course it would be men. It would be men. To every the, woman. The prisons would be every overflowing. Yeah, there'd, be, there'd have to be six men just to protect her for every goddamn woman. And if you don't want to use this service, then the next piece of advice offered by the Met Police is that women in danger should 
shout out to a passerby, run into a house, knock on a door, wave down a bus, or call 999. <laughs> Kidnap victims have had it wrong for decades. What? So she... what she's selling is complete helplessness. Yeah, yeah, basically. That, that like, no matter what the police suggest, it's not enough. And that women, again, they shouldn't have to do anything and at all. Also, like, to protect if, themselves. If the police, well, let's let's just say that the police had more money. Maybe they could patrol, or maybe they could put up some kind of I don't know, a uh, place where you could hit a button and get uh, get somebody to come help you. Right? They could do all kinds of things to actually help people in situations that are sketchy or dangerous. But instead, she wants to take police away from that and put them towards monitoring jokes because they make her uncomfortable, apparently because she can't make them herself, so she feels inadequate. They're the fourth emergency service. Why wouldn't you? Wave down a bus, whistle for a taxi, wink at a train. Really? Is that okay, really that wait, funny? Okay, wait, wait, wait. Was that really that funny, though? I mean, the audience looks, again, pretty static. This is a super low-energy yeah. performance. Low energy. They haven't even, they haven't even moved their their seated position. No, like they're still seated no. in the same position. <laughs> uh, they look uh, like they all have guns pointed at the back of their heads. <laughs> laugh at this. Laugh. Yeah. Entertain the audience. Uh, <laughs> I I just like okay. So what she's saying is that people in trouble shouldn't avail themselves of emergency services. Like why yeah. is this? It's victim blaming. I, okay. I'm trying to figure out why this is funny. It's not. That's like it's, you're doing an impossible thing, Allison. If you pursue no, that, no, 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 if you no, get no, on no, that path any no, further, the Cenobites no, are going to come into your house. I, and, I, and I'm telling you, it's like playing with the puzzle box from Hellraiser. <laughs> I, I, but I cannot resist because okay. she obviously thinks she's making a joke. So I have to get into the headspace where this is funny. Oh, so. I, I see. I guess the absurdity is the idea that women could do any of these things because men are so incredibly vastly powerful. But, you know, actually, if women fight back, they often avoid being victims of crime. I think that's, I think that's statistically true. So, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, and in fact, people who are experts in defense say that your best defense is when you feel like you're being encroached upon to go to where other people are. Or uh, wave down somebody who appears to be like a bouncer or a security guard or a bus, uh, a bus driver or a train driver. You know, just go somewhere where you can be seen can often reduce the likelihood that you will be the victim of a crime. It's actually it's not just valid for women. It's also valid for men. But somehow that's funny. And I think it's funny because we live in a society that can't conceive of a woman's actions actually affecting the outcome of her life which is terrifying as the, mm -hmm. this is this actually now that i think about this this is terrible because if that's funny it's like she's basically saying women have agency women take action that matters <laughs> women can't take actions that matter what absurdity women don't have the ability to take action we're not men how could we possibly be able to take any kind of action to protect ourselves how outlandish the route or should women organize a posse before heading to the lounge it's tricky <laughs> it's tricky isn't it of the 52,210 rapes recorded in 2020 that's not really that bad how many murders 
How many rapes of men? Uh, how many people are in the UK? I know that she makes it sound like a big number, but I think that like just London alone is like millions of people. So and she means recorded. So yeah, this is Ali. This is probably everyone reported to yeah um, ev every uh, rape reported, whether it's true or not, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, like how do we know? Few of them. Okay. Few of them, one in sixty. Okay, she's going to go with few of them are get in a what? charge. All yeah. right, let us, let us, let us. First of all, you don't care. Like one hundred percent, you don't care. If you actually cared about rape victims, you would pursue. You wouldn't be part of a movement that turned away from actual interventions that reduce the rate of rape in favor of nonsense that increases your social cachet and your ability to manipulate people. So you don't care. You don't give a fuck. And the other yeah. thing is that rape is not different than any other violent crime. You you are you're being completely disingenuous. You say it this way. Of those reported to the police, the same number go to trial and the same number end in a conviction. Something like 40%. Okay? Now, this is the same disingenuous nonsense that they do when they talk about false accusations. When they compare verifiably false accusations to all um, alleged rapes okay, mm -hmm. that go to trial. Now, that is a huge gray area. You don't compare alleged, uh, uh, alleged or verifiably false accusations to a huge gray area where you don't know what happened. Because there's plenty of people or plenty of men who actually get convicted of a rape then and then have the conviction overturned. That's what the Innocence Project is about. But when you compare false rape accusation, you, you have to compare the verified false rape accusations with the verified convictions. And then you get a rape of about one quarter false rape accusations to, to verified rapes to about like one third, I think. Mm -hmm. So it's, it actually happens quite a bit, and it's a very significant crime. And the UK, incidentally, is the only country I know of that had to review its procedures for charging men with rape because they had been getting rid of evidence of innocence. So the only systemic bias that has ever been identified in the UK judicial process has been in favor of rape victims. And there's a whole bunch of rape convictions that were overturned because of this systemic bias for rape victims and against rape accu the, the, those accused of rape. That falls lower if the victim is black or Asian or from an ethnic minority. An app isn't going to stop that. Bus drivers aren't going to stop that. And walking home in groups or latching onto a random Hindu on your way home isn't going to stop that. <laughs> so far, And also police aren't going to stop that, according to you. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, unless the police are literally like, you know, brainwashed so, uh, drones that are controlled by like some central authority that's a woman, I guess. I mean, but then that's literally, asking women she to said, be a part of the solution. So we can't have that either. Okay, so she's literally said women can't take care of their own self-defense. And police can't take care of women because police are part of the problem. Um, and also she's conflating violence and actual crimes with uh, wanting the police to actually go and and police jokes and catcalling. But 
So we're at no solutions now. Absolutely none. What is the point of listening to you? Solutions offered for the epidemic of violence against women have all been to monitor, control and victim blame women. To address your no. confusion, Mr. Raab. Stop. Stop. Okay. What? Please yeah, right. use our services to assist you in a, in a situation of violence. Well, you're just expecting, you know, again, what this boils down to is the idea that women can act to protect their own safety. Oh, my good Lord. What a horrible idea. That's men's work. Like, so the police provide services. Please use them if you're in danger. Oh, I can't believe you're victim blaming. What? What? One in four women. Is that it? These no, I think that she's just uh, going to tell us about all of the stats. By a partner. So chances are you either are an abuser or you know one. Maybe you're in a fun WhatsApp group with one. <laughs> what can you change? What can you do? Because women are already doing enough and we're knackered. Thank all right, that's Please don't. Please don't. Okay, this is what, oh, look at that grin. Once again, smug look, smug mm -hmm. contempt. Uh, by the way, please don't. The love of God, I find the actual expectation that I occupy a position of being saved by men to be the most unpleasant. <sighs> Not just like, like this is what she's essentially said is women are incapable. Men save us. That's it. That's what this has all come up to. Women are incapable, men save us, but, you know, one in four of you are going to be beating us, but somehow, you know, you're all to blame, but you're going to save us, right? This is incoherent. It's ridiculous. It's, path it's pathetic thinking. Like, yeah. Most of you are abusers or you're facilitating one or whatever, but, you know, save us anyway. So you are appealing. She's literally appealing. She's constructed this threat narrative. Now, men are these horrible abusers. They promote rape and domestic violence. Um, but save us from you. Like, does, does no one else see through this? And we're back again. All right, this is you as well. Uh, this is definitely you because you choose the news shows. So tell us about the news shows that you chose and why you did indeed choose them. All right. So on this week's HBR News show, we talked about the recent divorce settlement between uh, the known, well-known rapper Dr. Dre and his wife, Nicole Young, uh, where basically she got half of his liquid assets and I think a fifth of the, um, well, the other assets. So, yeah. And and the reason why this was of particular interest was because uh, she signed a prenuptial agreement before they got married. And then she made the case or attempted to make the case that she was coerced to signing the prenup under duress when they originally got married, um, you know, many years ago. And even though there was a prenup, she still walked away with as much as she walked away with. So it's almost like the prenups don't actually guarantee anything and don't offer men much protection. So, nope. 
Uh, yep. Next, because uh, a woman can oh, simply yeah. say, uh, "You know, he he pressured me. Uh, how did he pressure you? Well, he said he wouldn't marry me without a prenup. Oh, oh, prenup dismissed. Like they, <laughs> they, they come with their they come with their own destruction embedded. Yep. yep. <laughs> so what's exactly? The point? So okay, what's next, the point? Yeah. Next okay. One. Next, we have a story of um, well, in an effort to fight climate change. There are men get getting vasectomies in support. No, not climate change, but I'm sorry. Although that would affect that too, I think, by the same logic. It's actually to stand up for women uh, who are pro-abortion. There are men getting vasectomies. And they're, the feminists, of course, support this. They're pushing this. They're asking male allies to get vasectomies to stand in solidarity with women who, you know, want to have the right to do whatever they want with their bodies as well as the babies or embryos they are carrying. The idea is, you know, it, it's, it's supposed to be an inversion. It doesn't actually make sense. Vasectomies are not always reversible. They are not always without side effects. I think they are, they, they, they hold some risk and um, really more than anything, I just don't see why men think that that's supporting women when, those women blame them for their situation. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know um, what that's even... I don't even... see how that makes any sense. Well, I mean, I guess feminists couldn't say that men, uh, you know, reject taking birth control, men's birth control, because they don't have it, because in many cases feminists have opposed men having birth control. Uh, and I suppose men can't uh, protest the uh, anti-abortion laws by saying, well, you know... We're going to give up our right to 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 not be a parent um, if women can't can't uh, can't uh, separate consent to sex from consent to parenthood. We're going to give up our right. Oh wait, we don't have that. You know, all of these feminist effort to make some kind of statement about men's sexual rights and having more sexual rights than women are always stymied by the fact that men have no sexual rights. Like, ejaculation is literally a strict liability crime. Anytime a man ejaculates, he's strictly liable for where his ejaculate uh, ends up, even if it's fished out of a condom in the trash by some crazy neighbor that he doesn't even have a sexual relationship with, even if it's through rape. If he, he, a woman breaks into his house, puts a gun to his head, which does happen, by the way, for everybody's shaking their head and laughing, and mounts him, gets pregnant, and then sues him for child support. So he has to pay for 18 years for being robbed and raped. Ejaculation is a strict liability crime for men. So there's not really anything that feminists can take away from men in terms of reproductive rights that compares to, I don't know, Texas restricting abortion access because men don't have any reproductive rights at all. Yep. So uh, what's the next item that you had a discussion well, about? Well, I can get through the rest of these pretty quickly. There was one uh, story of a jury decision that told colleges the only way to appease an accuser, not a victim, an accuser of sexual um, assault or whatever the, the accusation is of a sexual nature, um, if the accuser is female is to expel the accused. So basically there is, a, and this is on some or many campuses across the United States where a woman, a girl in, in college 
can accuse a man of sexual assault, rape, whatever, um, even if it doesn't apply. And regardless of what the results of the investigation are, regardless of it, even if an investigation takes place, a jury decides that it's it's an it's an okay thing to do to simply expel the student. So now, college girls they just have a tool that they can just use to get rid of boys. And there is, you know, from what I can see, and this was written up by Ash Schau. She was the original um, writer of the article, and she's been looking at things like campus, uh, you know, rape allegations, Title IX related things for many years now. Um, there doesn't seem to be any recourse for boys that deal with that. So essentially that was a story of, guys, please don't go to college. Or at least not like a physical building if you really want like a skill. And then lastly, we have uh, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who has basically pushed the misogyny button with regards to the unvaccinated in a, Ooh, I, I guess you could call it pushback a, for that one. a rant about yeah. uh oh yeah there was wait was it was it that one that i got pushed back on I, we did yeah we we did lose we lost some people um you know what you're right this is the one because i did the story on it and the the the, the thing i was trying to focus on because i it's the part that's relevant is not whether or not you know you like vaccines or if you are you know hesitant or whatever that's not important. What is important is that Trudeau was using allegations of misogyny, which is like, you know, people's big emotional trigger in most people, you know, as a means by which to dehumanize the unvaccinated. So that was the purpose. That's the why I chose the story, because essentially I'm asking people, look, when somebody says so-and-so is this monster, a racist, a misogynist, extremist, insurrectionist, whatever, they're basically saying it's okay for us to treat this person as subhuman because they're not part of our group. They're not in this tribe, right? And so it had nothing to do with the vaccines. But there was a person who was a longtime viewer that I had seen in the comments that got so angry and they were saying that we were basically anti-science, anti-vax people. And I was like, but I'm not talking about the efficacy of the vaccine. And plus, why, I mean, this is the same person that earlier in the thread said that, you know, uh, he thinks that people whose IQs are beneath 90 should be forced to take it. So I'm like, well, I don't want to be associated with somebody like that <laughs> anyway. Um, wow. But yeah, oh, they no, literally said, said uh, that in I, the I live chat. He was saying that uh, people whose IQs are below 90 should be forced to take it. And those who are above should be sent to re-education camps or something. Yeah, something like really that. Well, that they should take. be re-educated -re on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was and a really he thinks that take. Very, very yeah. spicy, shall we say. Yeah, um, I yeah. was uh, a little taken aback by that uh, to see someone with those kinds of sort of think that kind of thinking in our comments. I mean, it's like it's one thing to make a medical decision for yourself, but to think that your medical decision should be forced on other people uh, against their human rights is a, is an interesting statement. You know, it's I mean, we've we've been fighting back against something very similar for decades. The idea that parents should choose for their sons that they uh, you know lose parts of their penis, and no matter what parts of the penis you think that the 
the foreskin corresponds to on girls, boys lose it. You know, the, it, it's just functional logic of what happens during circumcision. Part of the penis is removed. Um, but anyway, so I, I just find that interesting that, that we got that kind of logic. Although, having said that, we do also get a lot of pushback when we do talk about circumcision or, or that kind of thing, male genital mutilation. So, you know, I guess yes, I should have expected that. So is that is that all of the items that you talked about? Yeah, that's, that, yeah that's mostly it. I mean, there were a couple of other little short stories, but that's it. Okay, so this is, forget about Dr. Dre, vasectomies yeah. in the name of love. Trudeau calls the unjapped sexist. HBR News 338 with Brian Martinez, Hannah Wallen, Mike J, and Dr. Ranmerkam. This is HBR News number 338. Forget about Dre. I feel like I've said that before, but... Vasectomies in the name of love. Uh, Trudeau calls the unvaxxed sexist, where we reflect on the stories of the week and give it the badger treatment. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Honey Badger Radio. I hope you guys are doing well this week and that you're laughing at all of this absurdity so that you are not consumed by it. I am your host, Brian Martinez, and I'm joined by, as always, my co-hosts, Hannah Wallen, Mike J, and Dr. Ranmerkam. I feel like I've heard all of this before. <laughs> you feel like you've heard all of this before, yes. <laughs> it might be I, why they call it a news cycle. I may, I may need to, like redo the intro in a, diff a different way. I just don't know. No, I mean, that was why. part of the joke, but the main part of the joke was the news part of the joke. And there has yes, to be repetition yes. in intros. I understand that. But uh, yeah, 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 that was part of the joke, yes. <laughs> uh, Elizabeth Holmes, the founder of the failed blood testing startup Theranos, was found guilty of four out of the 11 charges of fraud on Monday, so this was yesterday, <clears throat> in a case that came to symbolize the pitfalls of Silicon Valley's culture of hustle, hype, and greed. Mrs. Holmes, who had once promised to revolutionize healthcare, was the most prominent executive to field fraud accusations in a generation of high-flying, money-losing startups. A jury of eight men and four women took 50 hours over seven days of deliberations to reach a verdict convicting her of three counts of wire fraud and one count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud by lying to investors to raise money for her company. Um, of the charges that she was not found guilty of are four other counts related to defrauding patients who had used Theranos' blood tests. The jury was unable to reach a verdict on three counts of deceiving investors, for which Judge Edward J. Davila of California's Northern District said he planned to declare a mistrial. Each count carries a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison, terms that are likely to be served concurrently. Mrs. Holmes, who's 37 years old, is expected to appeal. A sentencing day is expected to be set at a hearing on the three hung charges next week. So uh, just thought it was worth making a little update on the whole Elizabeth Holmes um, saga. And it ended with her, looks like she's going to be looking at time in the big house. So Dr. Dre, whose real name is Andre Romel Young, and his ex-wife, Nicole Young, have finally reached a divorce settlement. Yes, we I remember when we covered this a while back, and I predicted she was that Dr. Dre was gonna get pretty screwed by this. Um 
Young will walk away from her 24 years of marriage to Dr. Dre with $100 million. That is expensive pussy. According to Rolling Stone, Young is required to move out of their Malibu beach house, but will keep a, quote, a Rolls Royce, a Range Rover, an Escalade limousine, and a Spider motorcycle, as well as all of her jewelry. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, Young is apparently receiving more than one-fifth of the Death Row Records co-founder's fortune and roughly half, half Eddie, of his liquid assets. The $100 million settlement comes after 18 months of divorce proceedings with Dre's attempt to enforce a prenup. Because remember, he was he had her or was uh he had her sign a prenup and she fought against the prenup. So this is like what you get with a prenup. That's what that's why this is kind of amazing, okay? Dre's attempt to enforce a prenuptial agreement was signed in 1996. Nicole Young's attorney fought against the validity of the prenup, arguing that it was signed under duress. So she basically made the case that she felt that she was being coerced to signing the prenuptial agreement, and that's why they fought against it. And it looks like she won. So, so there you go. All right. So uh, do you guys have any thoughts on on Dre? Nicole I'm I'm kind of curious to wonder what duress she's talking about. Like if it's just I won't marry you if you don't sign this. Well, there's an answer to that. If you feel like that's putting you under duress, then you're not compatible with that guy and don't marry him. See you. Rick Salibi. I do believe that's how you pronounce that. Former CNN producer for Jake Tapper's show, The Lead, has been placed under investigation for crimes involving minors. Mm -mm. And not the kind that, like, go underground and, you know, look for gold. Yeah, like nonces. Call them now. Or nonsery. Fairfax, Virginia police, have confirmed that a criminal probe has been launched into Salibi, a probe that involves, quote, serious allegations involving potential juvenile victims, quote. Many suspect this probe may be tied to a report done by Project Veritas, in which they allege Salibi solicited nude pictures from a 15-year-old girl. Wait, news, nude pictures uh, of, of a 15-year-old girl? Of, of a 15-year-old oh, girl. Okay, okay. I, was, I was wondering if it was him that was sending out nudes, or if it was... Uh, nudes of a girl that he was sending out. Okay. Uh, CNN has confirmed that Salibi resigned earlier in December, and Salibi's house has been raided by police for electronic equipment. Salibi joins John Griffin, another former CNN employee, who was accused of grooming underage girls for sex acts, according to court documents. Jesus. CNN, fix your shit. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, like I always say, innocent until proven guilty. I still believe it. Uh, But I guess we will see how this unfolds. But it doesn't look good, especially considering how easily CNN slanders other people that they consider to be, um, I guess, their opponents. I don't know. And so, by the time by the time people are getting busted for noncing teenage girls, you have to wonder how many prepubescent boys have already been nonced by those same yes. people. 
and nobody gave a shit. So while men getting vasectomies can be a normal part of family planning or just a personal choice for men, some are getting vasectomies to, quote, support women's rights, end quote. Andy Gress got a vasectomy after he and his wife had their fourth child. He wanted to support his wife so that she didn't have to struggle with the side effects of birth control pills. He also wanted to, quote, support his wife and other women who don't think the government should decide what they can do with their bodies, end quote. Gress said that, quote, I've seen the miracle of life, but I've also seen kids who are born into poverty and misery and don't have a fair shot, end quote. Lawmakers in various states are introducing parity legislation to attempt to highlight women's reproductive rights. Democrat Pennsylvania State Representative Chris Robb introduced a proposal that would require men to get vasectomies after the birth of their third child or when they turn 40, whichever comes first. Robb said, quote, As long as state legislatures continue to restrict the reproductive rights of cis women, trans men, and non-binary people, mean women, there should be laws that address the responsibility of men who impregnate them. Thus, my bill will also codify wrongful conception to include when a person has demonstrated negligence towards preventing conception during intercourse, end quote. Brad Yuntz, a 45-year-old man living in Chicago, said that his wife wants him to be a vasectomy evangelist after he underwent the procedure without any issues. He said that, quote, men have are men are big babies. Considering everything women go through, menstruation, pap smears, OB gynecologist visits, I'm proud I did it. And I went on to tell two friends who are looking into it too. They tell their friends, and they tell their friends, and so on, and so on. So, there is a, basically, it's a big virtue signal uh, because of abortion slash reproduction. And men are legit getting vasectomies to prove their allegiance to women. And hey, I'm, I'm going to yell Vazel Gel again, and before Hannah gets in there to yell all, all she has to yell about Vazel Gel, I'll say that, yeah, <laughs> that's the equivalent of what you're looking at. Women have scores of options, reversible options, that they can easily shove into themselves at the expense of the state. Men, all they have is an extremely invasive uh procedure such as uh, as a vasectomy that has all, all kinds of uh, side effects that you're not told about in the mainstream media such as with other areas of, yeah. of medicine yeah mm-hmm. uh, and yeah a vasectomy is not the equivalent of almost any of of, of the uh, of the options that women have to to pretend like it's uh, the equivalent of a woman shoving a femidom up her is, is uh, uh. Ash Scow, who is uh, one of my favorite journalists, I've had her on the show a number of times, and I love her to death, has written another article for the Daily Mail about how sexual assault allegations are treated on college campuses and now in federal court. 
A female student was awarded $300,000 by a federal grand jury, which decided the college did not do enough based on her allegations. The woman was a student at Chadron State College when she claimed she was sexually assaulted in her dorm room, and again months later by the same male student in a bathroom where she worked as a student desk worker. Some of the students' interactions were captured on surveillance camera before, but not the assault itself. Interesting. As cited by Scow, Nebraska Public Media reported that a university investigator claimed the silent footage made the victim appear flirtatious. However, the accuser claimed the footage, in fact, showed her fighting off her attacker. So fighting off like, stop, let me go, and she's struggling and squirming, or if she's just going, stop it, you're so bad, and she's like, Slapping him on the arm. They're basically the same. The woman went to the hospital after the alleged second assault and police investigated her claims, but it does not appear that they arrested or charged the accused. The police did contact Shadron's Title IX coordinator to conduct its own investigation. Shadron did not suspend or expel the accused. Shadron or Shadron? Shadron, I'm sorry. From the article, quote, Chadron did punish the accused student, according to the Star Herald. A no-contact order was immediately put in place between the two students, and the male student was initially banned from the dorm where the woman worked. This was later changed to a ban from the dorm where she was reassigned to work. During a trial, the school pointed to other measures put in place to protect the accuser, including assigning her a security guard. Wow, that sounds just really involved. The school also encouraged her to transition to remote learning. The male student was also required to go through counseling and read a book about male sexual assault and write a report about it. I just had images of Clockwork Orange in my mind. He also had to take an online course about consent. End quote. However, because he was not suspended or expelled at the accuser's demand, she sued the school. A jury agreed with her that Chardon or Chadron or Chadron did not adequately respond to her accusation and rewarded her three hundred thousand dollars. So basically, a free ride, and and then a lot of change left over. Scow writes the following quote: "This sends the message to schools if they didn't already feel this way, which many appear to." that the only way to avoid being sued by an accuser and getting negative media attention is to expel the accused regardless of the evidence. It's a dangerous precedent and one shared by numerous politicians who have already tried to make this the reality on colleges and universities across the country. So a woman makes an accusation, the school investigates, they find that the evidence is spurious. They don't act on it. She sues them and she wins. What does that mean? That means that if schools don't want to lose money, they're going to have to do something about men on college campuses just for being accused. Just, just for being, you don't even need evidence. You just have to make an accusation and then threaten to sue the school if they don't like make good on it. And we, I mean, this is a ridiculous precedent. I mean, all, all I'll say is, guys, just don't go to college. <laughs>
So in an unhinged rant on a French-Canadian talk show, I'm only going to say French-Canadian because they were speaking French. I don't know the name yeah, of the talk was, show. Uh, I wasn't able Ke to find it. Québécois? I don't know. I don't know if Quebec French is different from regular French. So it probably is. It is. It, prob it probably is a little bit. You know, They say it like instead of z. It's, it's, it's sort of like how, how Mexican Spanish and Puerto Rican Spanish are mostly the same, but there are differences. Uh, go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. So in an unhinged rant on a French-Canadian talk show, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau had much to say concerning those not vaccinated against COVID-19. While discussing his strategy of combating COVID-19, which is by getting as many people vaccinated as possible, he mentions that there is still part of the population that is against it. The show's female host refers to these people as extremists. Trudeau responds to this by stating, quote, and this was all translated from French, quote, they don't believe in science pro slash progress, and they're often very misogynistic and racist. It's a very small group of people, but that doesn't shy away from the fact that they take up some space. This leads us, as a leader and as a country, to make a choice. Do we tolerate these people? Over 80% of the population of Quebec have done their duty by getting the shot. They are obviously not the issue in this situation. End quote. I mean, I'm, I'm not uh, surprised by this. Notice what, what's happening here is there is like, this is the ultimate tool of people like this. The way that they can justify essentially using force and violence and authoritarianism on a group of people usually involves accusing them of being people who are unworthy of human rights. And the way you do that is to basically say, oh, well, they're misogynist. I mean, like misogyny, I know people are thinking, what does misogyny have to do with vaccines? Good fucking question, but it doesn't matter because this is the lever they're going to pull to get what they want. And the, pro the reason why is because of so many people that fall for it. Oh, they hate women? Well, that's unacceptable. We have to do something about this. This is what they do. This is why you have to, like when someone accuses you of bigotry, of being a racist or a sexist or homophobe or whatever, you should laugh at in their face at maximum volume and tell them to go fuck themselves. Preferably on on like on the internet or something, so it can come up later and fuck them in the ass. You know? Fuck you. Elizabeth Heartfelt. <laughs> yes. We're back again, and I am sure that I was the one that suggested this one. It was on David yes. Hackman, and he was talking about this new term, mass formation psychosis. Actually, I don't know if it's new. I don't think it is. It's just sort of reemerged. It's resurfaced. It's reemerged. It may, may be phrased slightly differently, but it's essentially something that looks at um, what happens to populations under certain conditions. Um, and how they form sort of a mass psychosis. Specifically, they form a mass psychosis in terms of being led by a charismatic or a figure or a hero figure that's going to save them from some ill. And they, they, they fixate on that ill. And we had a discussion about how, well, personally, I would say that this isn't partisan. Both sides can be prone to this. And uh, in, in 
how we looked at David Pakman's discussion of this of mass formation psychosis and how he responded and uh, and, and we and then we developed three defenses that he used against an accusation of mass uh, formation psychosis on his particular from his you know of his particular political brand of politics and essentially it amounted to Trump exists therefore the left can't possibly be responsible for this right and the other ones you'll have to listen to no, yeah. not yeah. not at here, all here it is. Not, not at all useful <laughs> yeah here it is David pa yeah well one was basically yeah somebody else has the hand in their hand in the cookie jar therefore my hand in the cookie jar doesn't matter well that's yeah. the logic of a child David it's the logic of a child but anyway if you want to hear more about that this is David Pakman deflects accusations of mass formation psychosis maintaining frame number six with myself and Brian Martinez Hello, everyone, and welcome to Honey Badger Radio. My name is Brian. I'm here with Allison, and this is uh, Maintaining Frame, right? Number six. No, no idea. Six. I, oh, I did go. Six. I went through and, and yeah. You did go back and. Uh-huh. Yeah, so this is number work. six, and uh, today we're going to be talking about mass formation psychosis um as a concept i guess so maybe this needs a little bit of backstory did uh all right sure yeah sure i could give it i could give the, uh, some backstory okay so i was looking at the latest fervor shall we say between the right and left and of course it's this new thing called mass formation psychosis and i was like oh okay well what's that um and i looked it up and if you actually take a look at that one link I sent you, it's uh, editorial, Has Everyone Gone Insane? Check Your Mass Formation Psychosis by Bar Barbara Wyth, mm -hmm. which really, the, the last name Wyth sort of threw me for a loop for a bit, but I, then I realized it was a last name. I thought they had missed, they had done the byline and they had missed like a half of the byline or something. But anyway, it's a, it's a good um, sort of overview of what it is. It is not original to Dr. Malone, which, by the way, the first time I saw this or this came to my attention was the interview between Joe Rogan and Dr. Malone, um, one segment of it, which I also sent to you, Brian, so I don't know if you want to cue I that have, up. I have, I have uh, in case you want to watch it. Okay, the Barber with art editorial is actually a really nice overview of it. And uh, essentially, it's an idea that has been developed by Dr. Matthias Desmet a Belgian professor of clinical psychology at Ghent University. And it it's in regards to the mass psychology that created situations like you see in the Soviet Union and during the, fa the fascist regimes, Nazi Germany. Um, and, uh, and Desmet actually looked at it in terms of, uh, of the current, uh, what 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 is the new term so we don't get demonetized there's no uh, it's, pan, it's a constantly chemic? changing thing pancake? so yeah let's, new, let's call it the pancake the, the current state of everything during the during the initial stages of the pancake uh this individual became concerned by the consensus narrative he was reading in the mainstream or you know what's really interesting is a lot of mainstream sources during the pancake have sort of like contradicted each other 
and have presented stuff that very much isn't in line with what the mainstream narrative has become, which I don't get. Like at this point, if mainstream sources are saying one thing, can't you like be like, well, that's what they're saying, but apparently not. There's a very specific narrative that has emerged. And even when a mainstream source presents something against that narrative, that's no longer a mainstream part of the mainstream narrative. So I don't know how that works, but it seems to be the way it works. Um, he, and he did a number of interviews, uh, one with a channel named, uh, and this was well before Joe Rogan's podcast, like a month or so before, uh, Aubrey Marcus, Aubrey Marcus was the mm -hmm. channel name. And, uh, he said that there, he believes that what's happening in the West with the, the pancake is that there's a phenomenon of large scale mass formation. Um, and that phenomenon, large-scale mass formation, rises out of four psychological conditions that currently exist in the West that are closing, closing off human thinking. All right, so the four conditions are as follows. Oh, and he postulates that people don't necessarily act from evil intent, but a more psychological process to survive these conditions that is that are 95% subconscious. So the people who are engaged in this stuff don't necessarily know they're doing it, don't necessarily know that what the, the the line or the pathway they're pursuing is probably going to end in some kind of evil, horrible shenanigans, but they're doing it because they're trying to resolve some cognitive uh, discomfort, shall we say, or, or uh, what is that word? Um, when things um, cross or at cross purposes, uh, oh, um, distortion. No, it's, Cognitive, you, uh, cognitive dissonance. Sorry, I'm not wording very well today. Cognitive anyway, the dissonance? four conditions that allow for mass formation to Allison, emerge are one, lack of social bonds. According to a national survey in the American Psychological Review, 25% of people said they didn't have a single close friend. 75 million adults aged 18 to 27, comprising the millennials and generals, gener Generation Z, were lonelier than any other U.S. demographic. It's a psychological media paradox. People are interacting together online with their avatars, but they aren't their true selves. They don't create the yeah. intimacy or vulnerability that comes from shared experience, thereby suffering a crisis of lack of community. And what we've, pro what we've noticed, I think we've all seen, is that in, in lieu of creating um, bonds through shared experiences, they create bonds through shared moral expectations or the idea that certain concepts are going to be your salvation. So the second one is people experience life as meaningless or senseless. Yep. In Dave Gaber's book, Bullshit Jobs, when he asked whether people think their job is meaningful, 50% answered not at all. A Gallup poll from 2012 done with people in 142 countries revealed that 63% of respondents admitted to being so disengaged at work they were sleepwalking through their day, putting in time, but not passion into their work. Now, there are some culprits being identified with these, these conditions that allow for the formation of mass, uh, no, mass formation psychosis. Uh, but I actually think there's one huge culprit that isn't being identified, but I'll, I'll continue. So the third one is free-floating anxiety. Anxiety is generally considered a tangible, connected to a tangible mental image, like being chased by a lion. But if people feel socially isolated, that their life has no meaning, their anxiety isn't connected to a mental representation. 
This free-flowing anxiety is creating a deep psychological discontent. In Belgium alone, 300 million doses of antidepressants, antipsychotics, and sleeping pills are used each year in a population of 11 million. A study from the World Health Organization says that one in five people over 300 million actually have anxiety disorders. They not only have anxiety, but qualify as having disorders. And the fourth one is free-floating frustration and aggression. People feel frustrated and aggressive without really knowing the cause of their annoyance and anger. And when these four conditions are, are fulfilled, if a narrative is distributed through mass media identifying an object of the anxiety and providing a strategy to deal with that object, mass formation can thrive. All three, the free floating anxiety and anger now turning into panic becomes attached to the object. Sudden connection through this heroic struggle together against the object raises a new solidarity, a social bond that has been lacking, which in turn creates meaning. People then feel that they can control their psychological discontent by participating in the strategy, even if it's utterly absurd. Participation in the strategy has nothing to do with facts. It's to preserve this new social bond created by fighting together to defeat the object of their collective anxiety. By obeying the strategy, people can go from a very negative, isolated state to the polar opposite, a state of maximum connectedness. That creates a kind of mental intoxication that makes people willing to go along with anything, even if it's utterly wrong and illogical, or if they stand to lose everything that is important to them personally. They parrot the corporate narrative and accept the same authoritarian, shaming language they hear from their leaders. This is the summation of the hypothesis. And I'll just I'll just uh, step off uh, the podium and say, Brian, do you, do you notice anything about all of this? Any connections that you can make from all of the different... Uh, uh, how do they put it, um, the four conditions, the four social conditions that lead to mass formation psychosis? Uh, well, I mean, I, I could did you say... Have anything a, you wanted to add? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I, I could say a lot to um, a lot of this stuff, but I think that what you're kind of pointing to is the role that, um, well... The, the role of the story of men and women uh, and like where it is now and and how that is probably one of the central core elements of this. What I wanted to say, what I wanted to speak to is the first of the four conditions, which is a lack of a social bond. And I think that this is the foundational condition. So mm -hmm. the other conditions sort of fall out from those we, when we lack a social bonds with each other, we start to feel that our life is meaningless and senseless, and yep. we start to have anxiety, and that all results in frustration and aggression, because what we've lost is the connection between our identity and a greater whole, and, the, and that intimacy, and, and, intimacy, and intimate relationships with other people give us that sense that we, as individuals, are connected to a greater whole. Um, now, what I would argue is that the primary driver for our lack of social bonds in the current era is the narrative that men have constructed society for the benefit of women at the expense, or for the benefit of men at the expense of women. And the reason why I would say that is because that is the thing that drives a wedge between men and men, women and men, and women and women. It creates this threat narrative around people's relationships with each other. 
They're no, men can't have relationships with each other, easy relationships with each other, because that's the source of patriarchal privilege and control and all of the bad things that are hateful towards women. So it has to be constantly policed. You can't really be a friend with a man because you have to be constantly judging his behavior in lieu of its, uh, its uh, you know, judging it based on this kind of criteria list that uh, relates to the the, the ideology of feminism. And then, of course, women and men can't have easy relationships with each other because we define men as oppressors and women as victims. And then, and then it's very difficult to have a good relationship with yourself as a man because you're evil. And if you're, you know, if you're a woman, you're a victim. So these, these are just, this is, this narrative destroys social bonds, not just social bonds with people between each other, between people, but also people's bond with themselves. Yep. Because it's really difficult to have a positive sense of self when you are, your masculinity is the root of destruction in the world, or a positive sense of self when your femininity is why you are uh, a continuous eternal victim and that and will never escape. change. You can't escape. Yeah, and you can't escape it. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's take a look at what Dr. Malone has to say. If that's right. what we're doing Are next. You, yeah, I got the the the, the two minute clip of him on Joe Rogan. So yes. Um. Okay. I'll go ahead and play this from this. basically European intellectual inquiry into what the heck happened in Germany in the twenties and thirties. You know, very intelligent, highly educated population, and they went barking mad. Um. And how did that happen? Um, the answer is mass formation psychosis. When you have a society that has become decoupled from each other and has free-floating anxiety and a sense that things don't make sense, we can't understand it, and then their attention gets focused by a leader or a series of events, they literally become hypnotized and can be led anywhere. And one of the aspects of that phenomena is the people that they identify as their leaders, the ones typically that come in and say, you have this pain and I can solve it for you, I and I alone, okay, can fix this problem for you, okay, then they will lead, they will follow that person through, it doesn't matter whether they lie to them or whatever, irrelevant. And furthermore, anybody who questions that narrative is to be immediately attacked, they are the other. <clears throat> this is central to mass formation psychosis. And this is what has happened. We had all those conditions. If you remember back before 2019, everybody was complaining, the world doesn't make sense, blah, blah, blah. Um, and we're all isolated from each other. We're all on our little tools. We're not connected socially anymore, except through social media. Um, and then this thing happened and everybody focused on it. That is how mass formation psychosis happens. And that is what's happened here. I mean, I don't think it's partisan to, you know, describe this phenomenon. But I think that there are plenty of people who do think it. I mean, that's Ooh, what the Dave, that's what the David Pakman video is. It's, it's basically people like him, progressives, they turn everything into partisan, a partisan political issue. In which case they say, you're either on our side, which means you're a good person, or you're on their side. And the truth is, that in and of itself is a lie. There is no, the, mm. it's, not, it's not a situation when there are two sides. You ever notice this about these people 
For them, gender is on a spectrum and there's an infinite number of variations on gender identity. Of course, the only gender identity that's not acceptable is man, cis man, but everything else is on the spectrum. And it's an, and it's got an, an infinite amount of granulation that you can like get into. Even within a gender, there is an infinite number of subgenders within that gender. So this is like a, a spectrum that no matter how much you zoom in, it just becomes more and more granulated, right? It's never ending. It's bottomless. So that's what gender is. But politics, that's not a spectrum. That's a binary. That is us and then everybody else. And of course, everybody else is equally terrible. And that's how they frame things. I'm not saying this because I'm creating this frame. I know that that's not how normal human beings are. I know that we're not as simple as that. And I know that politically, people do tend to live on a spectrum where they, they feel a certain way about any given issue or the purpose of government or whatever. Um, in general, most people are not all that invested. They have like some views about things like gay marriage or women in the workplace or whatever it is. And they generally swim around the middle area somewhere. Uh, but when but people like David Pakman, no, that doesn't that, to them. It's like you're either with us or you're against us. That's how they frame it. So it's a binary when it's political and it's an endless bottomless spectrum when we're talking about things like men and women. Folks, the right has a new meme. I don't know if mass formation psychosis is completely killing. Let's go, Brandon, but it is spreading rapidly. On the virus front, we have Omicron rapidly outcompeting Delta. On the memetic front, right wing okay. memes. Yeah. All right. This is not a right wing meme. No, of course not. He doesn't care, Allison. But see, if he starts but, by saying the right has a new meme, the purpose of him saying that is to make people immediately turn their brains off. And say, well, I don't want to hear about this meme because it's coming from the bad guys. And instead of like actually asking yourself, well, why, wait a minute, why is something wrong just because it's coming from what he defines as the right? Which, by the way, Dr. Malone, to my knowledge, I don't know his politics and I know Joe Rogan's not right wing. So I don't know where David Pakman's coming from. Ah, but David Pakman believes that anyone who disagrees with him is right wing and worse than that this is an old thing this goes back to kevin logan remember when kevin logan would call anyone who disagreed with him a right wing conservative and we used to make fun of the way he used to say it the purpose of that is a thought terminating cliche if somebody says that's a right wing conservative uh QAnon conspiracy theory talking point you're supposed to then immediately like respond to that statement with pre-programmed responses of, oh, well, I'm not going to listen to that because that's the, they're the out group. I'm not going to listen to that. So David Pakman doesn't actually care that he's lying to us because what his goal is, is to get you to see it in the way that he's framed it so that you don't look closer at this mass formation psych psychosis thing. That's it's almost it. like the very idea of the right wing is a flashpoint in mass formation psychosis. Yeah, it's ba basically saying that's right wing. 
has the effect, I don't know on how many people, of turning people off immediately. And so this is the reason why I think that we need to not get upset when people call things right wing, because by doing that, we participate in that very psychosis because we're basically saying, no, 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 people, I'm not that. I'm going to push that as far away from me as possible. Instead of saying, but wait a minute, why is that? Like, why do you assume that anyone that isn't you is them and therefore wrong, if not evil? Because that's exactly what's happening. That's what they do to MRAs. Ob psychosis plagues um, the side of science when it comes to COVID. And what is incredible, I'm going to this clip has gone giga viral. Yeah. OK, there is no side of science. Okay? Yeah, no, science no, is constantly but... evolving and there is science that shows the vax. The, the jab is not working as advertised, maybe I should say, even though I seem to recall back in December of last or the year before last that they did say that it wasn't necessarily going to control transmission. But, you know, whatever. I mean, there's there's all kinds of different places saying different things. And that's typical for science. And the other thing is that, for example, we don't have any long term studies. So how does the science know something? Is the science also like capable of prophecy? For example, so you don't know what the science says about long term effects because they we haven't concluded that yet. We can't possibly have. We're only in like year one of of studying the effects of this this intervention. So we can't possibly know the long-term effects. So does science also like is it prophetic? Like this is it so when they start talking about when Pacman starts talking about sides to science, he's essentially saying the side that says that this particular intervention doesn't work. Is it, and he's categorically saying that that has to be false. Well, that's not science. That's called the null hypothesis. So when we embarked on this grand experiment, and it is a grand experiment, okay, that's why they had to get emergency, um, emergency. Uh, they had to declare this an emergency in order to do it, because otherwise they would have had to do significantly more protocols to get it. So that we're part of this grand experiment now. And anybody who says, well, maybe this won't turn out as intended or might have serious side effects or may have long-term effects or may not be as efficient, anybody who says that well, is open to those possibilities and looking for that possibility is now on the wrong side of science. It's yep. like, well, that's not how science works. You're, yeah, you're, sure. you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to think that the, the hypothesis is this intervention will work. You don't. That if you're going to do that, if you're going to say this intervention will work and you don't look at any counter evidence and you disregard every single bit of counter evidence as being against the science, then what you're doing is not science mm -hmm. by definition. Because science doesn't have sides. It has only has approximations of maybe reality. Well, yeah, it's 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 a conversation. It's the logos. Mm -hmm. It's people working through it. It's not, you know, some things we could say are settled, but I think that almost everything should remain 
to some degree challenged like you know where they're like looking at where the limits of these things are this is what men do like i i think that being a man is all about like operating in the perimeter and the perimeter doesn't just mean a physical perimeter like where outside of the perimeter it's it's the wild it's you know nature it's also the perimeter of our knowledge the perimeter of of uh discussion you know where do the edgy conversations happen on the perimeter where does uh where do the really challenging unsafe difficult scientific practices happen those conversation on the perimeter that's that's where men operate that's what they're drawn to listen really closely from basically european intellectual inquiry into what the heck happened in germany I want to see if, because uh, I think he just plays the whole thing, and then he, um, I'll just go to right there. It's focused by a leader or a series of events. Guys, he's describing Trumpism. Let what it go. We ha I mean, it's, do, I almost feel like I, I'm over, it's. You know, I, I still deal with this, uh, where people invoke this because they know that it has emotional cachet, so to speak. But like, no, David, it's he's describing a phenomenon that no one is immune to. OK, that can happen. And you are trying to attribute it only to your enemies, which means you're probably suffering from it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that's why that's yeah. why I thought this was fascinating. It's like a case study. The word that I used. So it's not a new concept. And it couldn't be more of an instance of projection. But this is their new meme. Robert Malone is their new hero. And the new meme is mass formation psychosis. And they lack the ability or awareness to realize it applies to them better than to anybody else they might point the finger at. Oh, my God. Yes. And, you, and he's and he has proven this point by saying that the people I'm involved are yeah, that's it. That's basically yeah, that's it. Like, the, I think that's it the end. It. No, he does like a yeah. he does like a sponsor. He, he proves some his veg, point. Some vegan thing. Okay, he proves his point by essentially saying that uh, using Trump in an issue where the people that he's calling out are in opposition to what Trump has said. Yep. So he's saying, yeah, these people just uncritically they're 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 an example of mass mass. Um, Formation psychosis because they uncritically follow Trump in regards to an issue where Trump is against them and they are not following him. Where they disagree. Right. Yeah. Where they disagree with Trump. Okay. All right. And also, apparently, the fact that there are groups of people who might engage in this behavior with Trump means that David and the groups, the groups that he belongs to aren't be can't possibly be behaving in this behavior this is the this is the there can only be one little boy with his hand in the cookie jar defense mommy i can't possibly have my hand in the cookie jar because donnie has his hand in the cookie jar and he put it in before me okay there has to be a name for that now like that kind of a moral fallacy yeah. What was the last thing he pointed out? Oh, and then the, and then, so the three, the three, one, 
These people, they're example of mass formation psychosis because they follow Trump uncritically, even in this issue that I'm talking about in which they disagree with Trump. Two, I can't possibly have my hand in the cookie jar, mommy, because Donnie already has his hand in the cookie jar, even though I have my hand in the cookie jar. I'm innocent. Defense. And then the third one was the, oh yeah, this applies, even though this concept is totally bumpkiss and stupid and bullshit, it totally applies to the right. But it's bumpkiss, yep. stupid, and bullshit. Yeah, oddly Who enough, taken Dave, in? David Pakman agrees with Trump on the vax, but doesn't think he does. <laughs> yeah. Although he probably is for and the mandates, which I think is the important You know difference. what really burns my giblets? Which is not a phrase. Uh, I've just made, uh, according to Portman, uh, oh, sorry, according to David, I've just made a portmanteau by using the phrase burns my giblets. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That burns my giblets. We're back once again. And unless Hannah swans in or. No, she's not here. Defeats the final mute button boss. I guess we could. Uh, uh, I guess I can. We could yeah, do I'll the. Just, I'll just do a basic introduction for this one. Okay. Um, so Hannah has decided to take a deeper look at the use of female victimhood to deflect moral responsibility by criminals, by women who engage in criminal actions. Last week, she talked about Carla Homolka, which is a name all all Canadians are horrified by. Uh, she was a woman who got off on basically the boyfriend defense. Her boyfriend made me, uh, my boyfriend made me do it. And then we later on found out that she was the ringleader. She was actually directing her boyfriend in many ways. And then there's also uh, uh, Holmes, like what, Katie Holmes, was it? Is the, the Theranos? Uh, yeah, I think so. I'm, yeah, I, I believe so. Let me just double check. Elizabeth Holmes. Katie Holmes is the actress. So Elizabeth Holmes yeah. also used the uh, boyfriend defense um, uh, about her C, I think CFO, she that she might have been dating, but mm, we don't know. And then also Ghislaine Maxwell used, of course, the boyfriend defense. So Hannah looked a little bit more into it, and she did a discussion with Lauren Brooks about uh, our society's addiction to female victimhood. And if you'd like to hear more, this is the three consequences of society's addiction to female victimhood that we all suffer. HBR Talk 207 with Hannah Wallen and Lauren Brooks. Remember that Twitter conversation I talked about a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at the end of that dating advice article from the Gold Digger Forum? Oh my giddy Aunt Sally. If you want to see just how off the rails an unstable woman can get, tell her that her right to control over her own body comes with a responsibility to control her own body, and then stand your ground in the face of every anti-accountability argument she makes. The resulting display of high-effort hypoagency will be very entertaining. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, logical contortion, and other mental gymnastics that would put even all-time record-setting oppression Olympians to shame, tag-team damseling, psychotic breakdancing, 
all ending in a spectacular pyrotechnic tantrum. But it's just an argument on social media, right? How could something like this even be worth talking about when there are real issues, current events to cover, disadvantages to talk about, and powerful politicians to criticize? Should we really be focusing on this when new anti-male law and policy is being created? Yes, we absolutely have to, in fact. This isn't just a few women on social media. This conversation revealed a prevailing social attitude, one that is foundational to our society's readiness to discriminate against men and boys for the purported benefit of women and girls. Of course, I'm talking about the accountability gap, an immeasurable gap in societal expectations for personal accountability regarding one's own welfare, one's chosen responsibilities, and the consequences of one's personal choices, depending on the sex of the individual. I've had a lot to say about that, most of which can be summed up by comparing the phenomenon to Western society having metaphorically cut women's legs off, strapped their legless bodies to men's backs, expected that to result in equal outcomes between the sexes, and accused men of oppressing women whenever it doesn't. However, this isn't just about that gap. It's about how gynocentric responses to social issues prop that gap wide open. When confronted with evidence of its existence, gynocentric women display a deep, almost innate sense of entitlement to maintain it. They don't even necessarily have to be feminists, as gynocentrism also underpins the way gender roles are defined within traditional conservative religious values. In fact, it underpins the entire relationship between men and women throughout recorded history, regardless of feminism's belief in systematic misogyny and oppression. To protect their precious double standard, these women will abandon their personal agency, recoiling from it in visceral horror when confronted with any evidence of female power, and then begin taking steps to eliminate the threat to their status as unquestionably immaculate, virtuous, magisterial beings. They will sound the alarm, rally their gynocentric grassroots, and strive to drown out any advocacy for a gender-neutral standard of accountability. They will appeal to authorities to silence any discussion of disapproved ideas, striving even to quash majority views using application of policy as a substitute for logic and reason. This is where efforts to make anti-male discrimination into law and policy and opposition to any reform aimed at bringing about gender neutrality in our systems gather their steam. If we want to appeal to legislators and policymakers in regard to issues pertaining to men and boys, this social phenomenon is one of our major obstacles. To overcome it, we have to be able to dismantle it, and to figure out how to do that, we have to examine it. A physician cannot know what medicine to prescribe unless he first correctly diagnoses the disease. If feminism is cancer, this underlying gynocentric addiction to the accountability gap is the virus that feeds it. In fact, you could say it's the most damaging social disease humanity has ever faced. When a child is put in the position of fatherlessness by the results of a woman's actions, like she decided this guy, you know, that, that she knows doesn't want to be a dad and isn't planning on sticking around, um, she decided to make him a father anyway, and as a result... He now has a child support obligation, and his child is now living in a household without his father. Mm. And 
I have watched over and over again in in a multitude of conversations, um, at, at, like the response feminists have made, and women who are not feminists are guilty of this too, to me saying very very simply, if you do not want to live the single mother poverty lifestyle, do not make babies with a man you are not going to marry and who is not dedicated to raising a child with you as your husband. That's a very simple step to avoid taking if you don't want to live like that. And immediately, why isn't it his fault? Why isn't it his fault? Not not even why isn't it? They flat out said it is. Some of them later on down in the thread. Oh, no, it's his fault. It's his choice where he leaves his sperm. Yep, yep. Not that I allowed him to leave his sperm inside of my body while it was unprotected from a potential pregnancy. And there is an example of that. Let me me put that in our chat, the live show chat here. And then I will call this up on the screen. Let me... It, it, and it, it really pisses me off. The, the fucking unmitigated gall of these goddamn women, okay? They they bitched and complained about, oh, pregnancy, oh, I don't, these unwanted pregnancies. So, so men created all of these different forms of birth control, right? And now, generations later, what, what, are, what are they saying? Oh, it's not good enough. It doesn't work well enough. Are you kidding me? Are you yeah. fucking kidding me? <laughs> it's it's only 99. Bet you got a better chance of dying from the cough than getting pregnant if you actually use these things properly. Like, come on. <laughs> oh, that's another one. That's another one. I mentioned multiple times, you know, use use birth control, but don't just use birth control. Use more than one form, right? right. You, and here's, here's the thing, right? We already have the um, condition that a woman can make her consent conditional. I won't do anything if you don't wear a condom. That's a really simple thing to say. I don't, I'm not comfortable doing this without you wearing a condom. And, and like that, I have made that stipulation myself. You know, I didn't describe it specifically as I will not consent without a condom. But that's a discussion about consent. You don't have to use the word consent to discuss your consent. And, and it's a very simple step to take. You, you learn that step because, hey, you know, in my instance, I put myself through the school of self-inflicted hard knocks before I learned to be a more responsible person. And, you know, so I'm not, like I, I've said this before, I'm not talking about this from a judgmental position up on high of a woman who thinks she's better than everybody else because she never made a mistake. Right. I'm talking about this as a woman who watched her own bad choices have that scatter effect, that scattergun effect on her children and her husband and her extended family and looking at the greater story of of all of this, how this if I had just gone with it and said, okay, well, this is the way I'm going to live. Um, I would have been a drain personally and and my family by extension, but me personally through my own fault would have been a drain on the state coffers and your tax dollars, right? I could have been on welfare for 20 years if I wanted to because of my situation. I could have kept having babies if I wanted to. Um, It was a little rough on me to have babies, but I could have done it, right? And, And that all would have been 
a, a pattern of dysfunctional behavior by choice that would have created fatherlessness for my children if I hadn't married my husband. Um, it would have created debt for my husband, whose ex-wife had already done that to him once. And it would have put a burden on my parents who would have stepped up. They, they were going to step up to have me just take care of me, have me live with them until I got back on my feet. And it would have, again, created a drain on everyone listening who pays taxes. So mostly the men in our audience. Um, but, you know, everyone listening who pays taxes would have been paying for my choice to inflict all that on my family. And, uh, you know, thinking about that, my response, because I was not raised like a girl exactly... I mean, I was raised somewhat like a girl, mostly like a girl, but not like a girl in this in this instance. My response was, okay, well, obviously, I have to get my shit together, get a job, be be a wife to my husband, um, be a uh, partner in our household. Which, if you think of your family as a not just exclusively a love arrangement, but also a business arrangement between two people who love each other, then you, you got to hold up your end of the deal, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that was my response, was to go out and work, um, study to better myself at, at the types of work that I was doing, uh, attempt to excel at the jobs that I did, and analyze the situation, try to figure out ways to mitigate the consequences that I was inflicting on the people around me. And, uh, and it was a very long, hard road. And my conclusion was, if I personally want to do something to spare other girls, as they're growing up, from being at high risk of this result... The important thing, because when I took sex education, of course, we learned a little bit about pregnancy, a lot about birth control, a little bit about abortion, uh, you know, but I was raised in a tr uh, Christian conservative traditionalist. The man is the head of the household, there he is, therefore he is more responsible family. And m for me, I identified that as probably my um, stumbling block. I didn't have to stumble over it. It was still my choice to stumble over it. But you shouldn't give people excuses to stumble if you want them to stay on their feet and be strong. Um, right. and, and be have all the greatest opportunities to climb and succeed, right? So that's my, my thing. Is I think young women should be given the tool of recognition of their power to control their fertility. And their responsibility to exercise that power. And not given any excuse to blame anyone else for the consequences. Now, it's not to say that I advocate for young men to not also be given that tool. Everybody should have that tool. Mm -hmm. And when I had, I had sex talk with my kids, you know, you tell them this is, this is how things are. This is what you're, you're learning in school. But this is how things are in relationships. Um, and this is what you, you should be considering when you think about, you know, who you're going to have sex with and, and what choices you're going to make around that. All of them heard, you know, be careful who you have sex with and be careful 
you know, how you do that. Use protection against diseases and use birth control and don't just rely on one thing. They all hurt it because they all need to be protected from putting themselves and their families in that circumstance. And to me, that makes sense, right? To me, you give people that tool to use for themselves, to protect themselves, and it helps to protect everybody else. But what do we get when we talk to feminists about that? We get, no, they consented to parenthood or abortion when they choose to release their baby batter into a vagina. (laughs) I'm like, oh my god. I just sat there and read the thread. I was just reading this shit. Like, I couldn't respond because, again, they're looking for that attention because it's that dopamine hit, right? Yeah. I'm not gonna feed, I'm not gonna feed into it. I'm just gonna sit here and watch you guys spurg out and just completely lose your minds. And that's what they did. That's what they all did. You know? And there was one oh my god, there were so many of them. Um her tweet goes, Oh yeah, oh all, all people on, on the pro life side, oh they're all the MRAs are all incels and they can't get laid and they hate women and blah blah blah. In one tweet, right? Just oh, just saying all this nasty shit about a general group of people that she does not know. Yeah. Right? That we're all this way. And then not one tweet later, she says something like, oh, well, I, I'm a good person. And I, I, I love everybody. I, you know, I just want everybody to be. I was like, I, so I, I took her tweet. I said, are you serious? You just said this. <laughs> and now you're, you're going to turn around and out the other side of your mouth say that you're the most loving, wonderful person in the world. And, you know, you just accept every bitch. Stop it. Stop it. I don't get it. Like you are literally documenting your lies. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And And this is like. They can't keep their story straight either. One feminist no. will say, you know, or two or three, because like now, right, right after the the first tweet I I sent you is another one, um, and I'll I'll switch here. I'll switch the window to this this other tweet. This is this is uh, a, again another um, demonstration, I guess you could say, of of this attitude. And it starts with with my tweet. You know, I I specifically said. Um, you know, regarding your take on responsibility until you admit women who choose to risk unwanted pregnancy and then to rely financially on men who never plan to be fathers are irresponsible. You have no grounds for argument that the fathers themselves are irresponsible. Like, and that's, it's, it's pretty much a, a situation of recognizing who has the most power to prevent or, uh, mitigate the issue. So you have, you know, you think about it with women, we have the power prior to sex, we have the power during sex, we have the power um, between the act and uh, implantation, um, if we want to have that kind of an abortion, uh, where, where you prevent implantation using the plan B pill and you have a miscarriage that um, most people wouldn't even think of as a miscarriage they don't even recognize it as a miscarriage they just think of it as birth control um 
but it's a chemically induced miscarriage. And then you have abortifacients that can be used up to two weeks later. And then that's all before you even get to surgical abortion, which is legal across the United States. Um, we also have uh, the ability, if we decide to carry to term, because some of us think abortion is a bad idea, um, there's, there's also safe haven abandonment. There is, if the father wants custody, there's relinquishing custody to the father and becoming the person who pays the child support. Um, there is adoption, if neither one of you wants to take responsibility for raising the child. So there is no point at which a woman, woman gets to the state of single custodial motherhood that isn't a result of her series of choices. No American woman, and really no Canadian woman, no woman in the UK, no woman in any Western country that has legalized adoption becomes a single mother with custody of a child and, and a father that is absent with a child support obligation, except by her own choice. No one ever becomes that involuntarily, right? But, you know, my, my detractor here says, if a man doesn't want to be a father, then he shouldn't be having sex. He knows that pregnancy is a potential outcome of sex, so absolutely knows that he's taking that risk when he ejaculates inside a woman. However you dress it up, those are the facts. Not the fact that the woman um, also knows, right? I mean, if you gender reverse this, it's if a woman doesn't want to be a mother, then she sh shouldn't be having sex. You don't tell that to feminists, they go ballistic. Ooh, it's the keep your legs together argument. Right. <laughs> You know, Where's my body? I do what I want. I do what I want. I, I got my birth control. <laughs> I got my birth control. Okay, but when my birth control doesn't fucking work and I end up pregnant, up uh, what? Whatever. It's his fault. It's never their fault. Never their fault. You can you, and I think that's what birth control did. It's like it. You gave women an out. Mm -hmm. I, I, oh, <laughs> and now they're just everything is just another excuse to relieve them of culpability for their own actions. It's disgusting. Men know, they recognize when they are talking about men's responsibility. Men know that pregnancy can lead to sex. But the next woman says, women are free to have child-free sex. That's what abortion is for. She skipped <sighs> everything between hello and abortion. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's not. That's what consent is is for. You you talk about condoms during that process. That's what the birth control pill is for. That's what uh, IUDs are for. You know, not to be confused with IEDs. Those are a little more painful, um, but they do prevent pregnancy or at least end. Yeah. It. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, yeah. No. 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 No explosive sex there, guys. Um, but yeah, that's 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 what uh, the the foam is for, you know, spermicidal foam, spermicidal film, spermicidal cream, spermicide on your condoms. You can poison those little suckers to get to death all kinds of different ways, right? The sponge, the the diaphragm. I, I could just right. go on. And, and for as much as they love to claim how Planned Parenthood, oh, it's just for our our it's 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 medical, it's our health, right? It's just health care. Well. 
Planned Parenthood can't teach you about the 13 million different versions of birth control that you have and how to use them effectively? That's not one of the services they provide? Yeah. No. Oh my god, these people drive me nuts. Drive me nuts! <laughs> right? Exactly. Oh so so we have this, this devastating display, really, in my opinion, of of hypoagency. And what these women have basically told us is uh, they have put on a blindfold. All right, mm -hmm. you put this blindfold on and you're going to walk into the topic of sex with this blindfold on, or at least blinders like a horse, you know, off directly in front of you is I want dick. Um, that's going to get, that's going to get quote mind, right? <laughs> but off right in front of you is like, ooh, penis. Um, and, and then off to the sides are, okay, consequences, consequences. What do I, what do I do to prevent them? Nope, not going to think about that. Penis. Yep. Um, <laughs> and, and so therefore they are stumbling directly into those consequences. They basically have removed their own ability to protect themselves from the horrible experience of discovering, oh shit. For the next 20 years or so, I'm going to be responsible for the welfare and development of a person that, uh, you know, everything that I do that contributes to that person's experiences and uh, environment is going to have an impact on that person's welfare and development. And, and, and the results of that are, you know, on me. Especially in the beginning, like baby's completely helpless. Everything that you do is is gonna result in a consequence for that baby, no matter how you feel about it. Um, and 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 you get to that point without thinking about it first. You know, it's like it's like shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, uh, and yet they don't stop themselves. This consequence on women is really bad. So these women now, right? Say. She wanted to be um, in any STEM profession. Um, she wanted to be a scientist. She wanted to go to college and take chemistry and and um, become a, a biochemist. You know, whatever. And now she's responsible for a baby. She's got to decide. Well, I'm going to either have to have this baby and raise it, uh, have this baby and put it up, go through the emotional experience of putting it up for adoption. Right, have this baby and marry the father that I that I that I don't love. Like you know, and that's a lot of women do have sex with guys they don't love. I was not in that position. Um, I was have always been just flat out head over heels for my husband, um, and uh, so that it was marrying him was uh, I was already ready for that uh, before. <laughs> like we got together, I already knew. Um, so there, there was, there was that, but in any case, a lot of women, you know, get pregnant after a one night stand with some guy they met clubbing or at some other uh, event, and then or on Tinder, on Tinder, <laughs> yeah, um, girls get pregnant by some guy from school that they were dating because he he was desirable to a lot of girls and they wanted the status and then they find out they're pregnant um and 
some guys will marry a woman they don't love because there's a baby on the way and it right. really doesn't work out well. Didn't work out right. well for my husband's ex-wife and, and him and their marriage. Um, he loved her. She didn't love him. But kind of um, how it uh, works out. <laughs> yeah. And so you have this, well, we're free to have child-free sex. And it's on you to prevent that. Puts women in a position of going through those experiences. Not to mention the fact that, you know, uh, surgical abortion, which it's, it's only referred to as surgical abortion because they have to artificially stretch the cervix um, to get the implementations in to get the baby out. But that is, it involves introducing a foreign object into your body that can carry germs and cause you to become septic. And that happens. It doesn't get recorded very much, but it does happen. There are women who come out of that with infections. There are women that come out of that with structural damage. Um, there are women that come out of that with with pain they can't explain. And because uh, of the secrecy involved in the industry and the effort in government and in, um, well, within uh, women's advocacy to protect that industry, it doesn't get talked about much and it doesn't get recorded much. And that's not to even open up the subject of a lot of women go through an experience after a live birth or miscarriage called postpartum depression. And after you do something you can acknowledge, like giving live birth or having uh, an unintended miscarriage, something that you were aware of, but when you were, you were trying to give birth, you can talk about that to a professional and have it taken seriously and treated as a legitimate experience. But if you have an abortion and you experience postpartum depression as a result of the chemical changes in your body that took place because you were pregnant and now you're not, Nobody wants to acknowledge that you can experience that. Um, and if it, if it takes the level of postpartum psychosis, or if you are traumatized by the experience, if you have a later term abortion and you're traumatized by your experience, and I've known some women who have been, uh, because not even just a morality issue, medical experiences can be traumatizing. Um, and especially if they are invasive medical experiences or painful um, or have any kind of discomfort associated with them, right? And, uh, you know, so there is a syndrome that can happen after that that may be a combination of postpartum uh, depression or psychosis and uh, not necessarily PTSD, but as a trauma stress response. But we can't talk about that either because it's anti-abortion to talk about that. Right. So these women set themselves up for all these experiences. And yet, if you try to talk about any of that, this is what you get. Women are free to have child-free sex. That's what abortion is for. A man, say, ends when his sperm leaves his body and impregnates someone else. What part of that aren't you getting? The reason I wanted to talk about this is because, you know, we've been talking about this female hypoagency. And the idea of women taking responsibility for controlling their own, or managing at least, their own fertility. And, and I like to use the word management better because you can't really control your fertility. But you can manage it by interrupting it. Or at mm -hmm. least interrupting 
the the access to it by the man's fertility. And if your fertility and his fertility don't meet up, there's no baby happening. So the article is men across America are getting vasectomies, quote, as an act of love. And and this is specifically a response to the Texas heartbeat law. Right? With the right to an abortion under a threat, men say they they want to play a role in reproductive planning to support their partners. So not because men don't want to get pregnant or get a woman pregnant when men don't want to become not because men don't want to become fathers not because men don't want a responsibility inflicted on them against their will but to protect her to shield her right doing it as a deference to women (laughs) god so men are allowed to men it's 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 smiled upon if if uh men and an invasive surgery but if a woman should do it to protect her you know fertility that oh my god that's too much oh you just want to control women's bodies yeah shut the hell up <laughs> yeah so here's the part that is i i think is really relevant i'm going to skip down several paragraphs here with the Supreme Court set to decide the fate of Roe versus Wade next year and with more than 20 states poised to ban or impose impose restrictions on abortion, depending on what the court decides. Some reproductive rights advocates say it is time for men to take a more active role in family planning and fight for reproductive rights. That's That's their statement. Not, it is time to consider the options that women have to prevent themselves from getting to the point of needing or thinking they need an abortion. Nope. It's it's on men now. Unbelievable. I'm, I'm looking at the article. I'm trying to see where you read that. <laughs> where, so, where let's said. see. We have one, two, three, four, five. This is paragraph six that I was looking at there. Like, it's two paragraphs above the picture. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. I get you. Okay, and so, all right. <laughs> I have a question. What's this picture? <laughs> I, 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 have, I have a real question. What the hell is a reproductive rights advocate? And oh, on God. <laughs> and on what side of the reproductive rights fence are they sitting? Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not understanding that term. I'm going to need a little bit more clarity here because it sounds like you're just talking about abortion advocates. Yeah, basically, and, because and they're... Label- and relabeling it reproductive rights. Only for women, because only women have abortions, you cunts. <laughs> uh, they're not, they're certainly not talking about, it. they never talk about, you know, the, the history of forced sterility in our country. Um, yeah. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a direct care uh, giver, a direct support professional for, uh, for intellectually disabled adults. And one of the things that we have to contend with in our history in the U.S. I'm hearing you, or hearing me on your feed, I think. Uh-oh. Yep, I am, I am. Okay, okay, so one of the things we have to contend with in our history in the United States is the fact that in the early 20th century, actually right up to right before, and I think even during World War II, it was after World War II that we finally, our, our, our country finally came to its senses about this. Um were routinely 
medically sterilizing people who were labeled they, they had these labels for people with mild to uh to to moderate intellectual disabilities they called them feeble minded mm. like i'm i'm sorry but i've met a a significant number of people with these disabilities after becoming a caregiver and they have vulnerabilities but they are not feeble minded right yeah. some of them are slower thinkers some of them have limited c capabilities but they're not weak right and so i i hate that term but in any case um this decision and and honestly a 12 year old is probably going to be smarter about making a birth control decision than these adult women that we were talking to, right? A 12-year-old has the ability, without all the excuses built in from politics, to examine the situation and say, well, hell, my best bet is to do everything I can to not need to make a decision about abortion, mm -hmm. right? And... So anybody who is of uh, mild or, or moderate intellectual disability, a lot of times their intellectual capacity is as um, advanced and as quick, at least, as somebody who is pre-adolescent. And uh, it's not, you can't really make a direct comparison there because brain development isn't that simple. But there are a lot of people who can decide for themselves uh, that other people might look at and say, well, those people should never be parents. We need to decide that they can't do that. Um, there are a lot of people who decide for themselves uh, that, that, no, I'm, I'm going to cut this off and prevent this, or uh, maybe I'm not going to cut this off and pre prevent this. Um, I had a friend when I was growing up whose parents were intellectually disabled. And she wasn't. And uh, it was an it was an interesting situation because, um, their their intellectual disability was artificially inflicted on them by the mental health um, uh, uh, community. And that's not right. The mental health profession. Uh, they were they were given shock treatment and they had brain damage from it. Um, oh, so it happened after uh, the cessation of. Of, of involuntary sterilization routine involuntary sterilization and uh, and they had they had my friend um, and they were good parents she grew up to be a perfectly well-adjusted and normal person um, there was nothing wrong with her and there was nothing wrong with them uh, but had all of this taken place about 20 years prior to when it did they would have been at risk um, as soon as it was determined that they they had had uh, brain injuries from electroshock therapy, um, and you know, like that's that's just a fact. But here we are, women who are not intellectually disabled in any way, <laughs> basically arguing that they can't make the same decisions. And what is what is the result of this? There is now, quote, parity legislation. And I like that they put this in quotes because this kind of stuff starts out as a joke or, you know, a, a Poe argument, things like that, and mm -hmm. then becomes 
the Overton window uh, moves and it becomes the accepted idea. And, and it's already starting. Pennsylvania State Representative Chris Rabb, Democrat, of course, introduced, quote, parity legislation this fall in response to the Texas law that amounts to a near-total ban on abortion, which, you know, it doesn't. It, um, it, it bans abortion after a heartbeat is detected. And so it doesn't ban uh, any of the abortifacients that, that cause a chemically-induced miscarriage. Um, it doesn't ban anything that happens before the heart starts beating. Mm. So, and these women always argue that uh, most abortions are done uh, earlier than that, and that that you know all of this discussion about late term term abortion is a giant straw man argument. But then when something like this gets done, they're oh, it's a, a near total ban on abortion. Uh, Rab's proposal would require men to get vasectomies after the birth of their third child or when they turn 40, whichever comes first. It would be enforced by allowing Pennsylvanians to report men who fail to comply for a $10,000 reward, um, which is a parody of the, uh, you, anybody can report an abortionist, not the patient, but the abortionist for failing to comply. So you go uh, get... Um, evaluated for an abortion, the abortionist doesn't check for the heartbeat, does an abortion, and you know that um, you know they've they've uh, aborted a fetus that is well beyond the formation of heartbeat. You can then turn them in for a reward, or um, similarly, your daughter does, and you know how far along your daughter was, and when the heartbeat starts, again you can turn them in for a reward, um, and that's. That's basically to prevent uh, later-term abortions and and uh, and in mid-term, I guess, sec- second trimester abortions as well. Uh, but again, it shouldn't be an issue because feminists told us in this conversation that those are not um, a frequent thing. That most abortions are just a tiny little dime-sized blood clot. So without a heartbeat. Yeah, no. You, I mean, they don't even have fingers. Like Hannah, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. Yeah. no fingers, no fingers, no fingernails. You know. So what was that movie with? Um, um. I can't think of the the actor's name. Shit. Uh, the 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 actor that that you're not allowed to dead name, or you get banned from social media. Um, Elliot. Uh, Ah, what's yes. her last? What, what's his last Page. name? El- Elliot Page. Page. Um, and I, I will say this. Um, as far as the Elliot Page thing is concerned, um, it doesn't bother me that that Ellie, Elliot Page has made the decision uh, to to transition or any of that stuff. That's that's their business. Like that's that's not my business. Um, having it shoved down everybody's throat as something remarkable when it's become commonplace is everybody's business and, and absolutely is ridiculous and unnecessary and I hate it. Yeah. Um, not not the person, just the having... I don't like having things shoved down my throat that I didn't ask for, right? Uh, you could take that any way you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
in any case, the the thing that bothers me about this is right. We have this. It's already stepped from parody to a push. Right? They're no longer saying, "Well, this is a joke. We're only joking. We think men should have to get uh, a vasectomy to uh, to protect women from the consequences of their own choices." Now it is. You should take the initiative to do this if you're a, a, a responsible man. Mm-hmm. This is on you. That's step two, or maybe step 1.1, right? And the, on the pathway from, um, you know, no, we're, we're just, we're not talking about this at all to we're actually going to impose this, right? And honestly, that's an attack on men's autonomy men's uh re- not just reproductive rights but men's bodily autonomy and women make a big deal about bodily autonomy when it comes to their right to terminate the life of a living human organism that they have put inside themselves through their own actions mm-hmm. but they're not so keen on caring about a man's bodily autonomy um and this like, there are men who are voluntarily celibate. We hear a lot about incels. All right, incels exist. There are also men who do not have sex outside of wedlock because they believe that it is immoral or unethical or unsafe for them. Right? They have that right. They have That's completely their choice. Should mm-hmm. they have to have a vasectomy? You know, should this be inflicted on them? There are men who have uh, sex with everything that can move, that make their own decision to use a condom, uh, that make their own decision to protect themselves in their own ways. Uh, and of course, everything that moves has like 13 billion different options for preventing pregnancy herself. Why should he have to have a vas- vasectomy? You know, and and so you have all ends of the spectrum, right? Men who. Well- are not even part of the equation to to men who treat women as adults who make their own decisions and and are engaging in a pleasurable activity with them why should it be just on the man to do that well because hannah you see you see if you don't get a a vasectomy willingly you know then you're just not a man Right. right this dude what he i this makes me want to fucking throw up. It wants, I, I want to hurl. I want it to man up. Really? <laughs> Manning up means just giving women a free pass to do whatever they want with whomever they want. And it, I, I, ugh. Yeah, why, it's, it's why insane. You, yeah. Like, why is it your responsibility to take care of someone else, of what someone else is going to do? hurts my brain it hurts my fucking brain <laughs> this is one of those that uh, you look at this and like we we don't challenge women's right to bodily autonomy we do not say women do not have the right to uh, decide not to become pregnant we don't say that women do not have the right to protect themselves against being being raped they don't have the right to protect you know we don't any of that right the only thing that we discuss in terms of um, really the only issue in terms of abortion rights, that is con- uh, contentious, is whether um, whether 
the actions the woman is taking are affecting another life and whether that um, changes the discussion on rights. And women, you know, women on the the, uh, pro-abortion side don't want to acknowledge that. And uh, women on the pro-life side don't really um, have any tolerance for that, right? But when we talk about uh, fathers in terms of this, as soon as, and I've seen this happen, actually, uh, in other discussions as well. As soon as you start talking about the father's autonomy rights, you can get women on both sides of the abortion argument riled up and saying, no, he needs to keep it in his pants. This wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for him. Mm-hmm. Right? So you, you look at this this issue. We are now in a situation where because women make this decision... Sex with a woman puts a man at risk since she has this addiction to hypoagency, an addiction to saying, I'm not responsible for deciding to do the things I did, and I'm not responsible for anything that results from my actions. She now has the excuse to demand that he financially uh, support her choices, she can demand not only that he financially support her ch- her choices, but in in some on some levels to the amount that she, that he's going to financially. So she basically can enslave him for approximately twenty years, mm-hmm. um, and then on the other end of it, that hypoagency is the excuse women who have engaged in sex that they are embarrassed to admit they did turn around and make false rape allegations. So this, this, men are responsible for sex, women have a right to sex, right? That leads to false rape allegations. And the third thing that it does to men is, because these women don't feel responsible for their actions, if a man doesn't want to have sex, and the woman pressures him, right? And all of the things that feminists will call coercion, you know, right down to threat of consequences, like unbearable consequences. I'm going to falsely accuse you if you don't have sex with me. That that kind of consequence. I'm going to withhold uh, your children from you. Your already existing children from you if you don't. You know, I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to shoot you. I'm going whatever threat they make. Uh, all of these things have been used to coerce a man into unwanted sex. Women don't view this when they are engaging in it. They don't view this as violence. The statement, the original statement here, there's a crisis in America according to the U.S. Census Bureau 18.3 million children, one out of four children, live without a biological step or adoptive father in their home. So that's not just children whose biological fathers are at home. Not at home, right? It's not just children who have father absence as a result of, of divorce or unwed. It's it's children who have father absence totally. Just the mother in the home, no man, no adult man. So it, then this problem is actually even bigger than this makes it sound. That's um, horrific. Yeah. And uh, it, it says, consequently, there is a father factor in nearly all of the societal ills facing America today. Research shows when a child is raised in a father-absent home, he or she is affected in the following ways. Four times greater risk of poverty 
right? So there's a direct impact on on a child. Um, you you create the situation, you create a a, a fatherless baby. Your child has a four times greater risk of poverty in this situation. You have just inflicted poverty on a person. Or at least a very high risk of it, right? Seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen. Which means, because in this instance, people who become pregnant as teens are less likely to get married. They're less likely to raise their children together. They're like less likely to raise their children under cooperative efforts, right? Mm-hmm. So they're seven times more likely to pass that four times risk on to your grandchildren. They're more. It's it's God, insane. It's just insane. And this this is just this is just poverty, yeah. right? It's it doesn't even talk about like the mental effects that that takes the toll that it takes on a child trying to grow up in a situation like that. Right. And it's just generationally being passed on and on and on. I, I no wonder where we are where we are where we are right now because this just damaged people around just everywhere and it's so sad because it can be avoided yeah if it we can. just if we just make women be held responsible for their fucking choices and stop just bl- blaming the men as if that's that's just it it's, it's just well no the the men are gonna pay either they'll pay through their own wallet or their taxes or their their lives whatever the women are comfortable and they're happy they're not screeching anymore so uh, uh, this to me this amounts to child sacrifice it's not you're not throwing them in a volcano right you're throwing them in a giant vat of shit but it's still child sacrifice yeah. And when I say a giant vat of shit, I mean the experiences that they're in for because of your decisions. And it's it is. It's child and, and, and the thing about this is like feminists will turn well, men have to pay child support. Men have to child support isn't gonna fix this. Right? No. Living away no. from your child, having no contact with your child because every time you try to come and visit the mother says, No, we're busy. I don't I, you were five minutes late, you can't take them with you. Uh, you know, I I just don't feel like it. I don't like you. I'm gonna tell a judge you hit me. None of that is gonna solve this. Mm-mm. You know, no matter you could pay ten thousand dollars a week and it's not gonna solve this. No. These children, no. you know, suffering in ways that I don't think the women ever think about. These children are more likely to have behavioral problems, all right? <laughs> behavioral problems have a two-way effect. If you have a behavioral problem, it means that you, for whatever reason, do not have control, full control over your own behavior. Mm-hmm. You have limited control at best. Um either because you have developed habits that are hard to break or because you actually have a mental health condition that interrupts your self-control. And, you know, there are, there are all kinds of different behavioral disorders that describe ways in which your mental health condition can interrupt your self-control. And 
in it's a rotten situation and it's a, a struggle for everybody that has a behavioral condition right and uh some people can overcome it and other people end up in the prison system or end up in poverty or end up in bad relationships or maybe all of those things um they may be more likely to suffer to face abuse and neglect um because they may may not be able to well first of all it may happen in their own home in their in their childhood home uh but they also may not be able to protect themselves by judging character yeah cuz where do you learn to judge character if there is none in your home when you're you growing don't. up right? you don't so these circumstances put these children in a in a situation where their um behavior may affect other people and they also may face consequences if you have a behavioral problem you you are going to end up in conflict with your environment and the people in it right there is a two times greater risk of infant mortality right now let's make this really clear all of the men have been removed from these the equation in this discussion right the infographic mhm so children living in a man desert populated by only their mother and their other female relatives have a two times greater risk of infant mortality what does that say about the women in that environment oh my god that they chose the wrong man it's it's all it's just the he wasn't here <laughs> oh my god you could just hear it, it oh right now no just just um to make people understand 70% of children killed by one parent in in uh, uh families where there is child maltreatment right are killed by their mothers if you look at the statistics on that 70% the vast overwhelming majority of them are infants who die from neglect um you have to understand it is possible for a mother to feed her child without buying any food for the child for a year after that child's born you can nurse a child for a year you can feed a child almost exclusively by nursing for a year it's not ideal you want to start introducing other foods during you know as as the child ages through that not necessarily at 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 early infancy but when you get close to a year you know your child should be eating some um cereal and consuming some uh formula or other liquids um but uh in any case this is a situation where children are dying from neglect so they're either they're starving or they're dying from illnesses that are untreated because they were not uh taken to the doctor and in the united states we have a failsafe cuz these are us health statistics um there are statistics based on us uh uh legal statistics us census and us um uh child protective services statistics right um but we have a system that that if you are a child in a home that doesn't have uh an income above the poverty level 
and you don't have both parents there and everything, you're eligible for medical insurance that does not include any copay or any um, deductible or any of those things. You pay nothing. Your your parents pay nothing for your medical care. Um, and, and the Medicaid system is available across the board under that circumstance for at least the children. So there's no excuse for a mother to not have um, that, at least, for her child, to not apply for that and maintain contact with the services. If she's going to live this lifestyle, um, the, the services that are available for them. And then there are also, if you're in an urban area, there's usually free clinics as well. So these children that are dying of neglect from, like, medical neglect, um, their mothers don't have an excuse. If yeah. they're dying from exposure, from neglect due to exposure, like they're not getting dressed warm enough or they're not um, being, if they're not sleeping in a warm, safe room or anything, again, their mothers have put that in them in that situation, right? Mm -hmm. So this is not something that you can blame on men. Here we have, I made this point um, in response to this woman. She says, my saying yes doesn't render the man helpless to say no, which we haven't really argued. Um, to ejaculating inside my body if he's against abortion or child support. Men control their bodies and where they put their sperm. That's their choice. And while that is true, and men are best advised to never, ever, 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 you know, for, fail to use a condom as long as they are uh, attempting to remain childless, right? And just think about what she said. Like, no. So, so if he, it's only if he, le if he pulls out and comes in your face, yeah. but he, but he left a little bit of cum inside you, uh, uh, what do you, what do you want? Uh, oh well, God. again, you know, this is, this is, this is called a zero sum game, right? His responsibility eliminates hers, mm -hmm. right? And they've accused us of arguing the opposite. Her responsibility eliminates his. You know, yeah. in my opinion, her control over her fertility um, rightfully eliminates his responsibility for her choices. And a woman should not have the right to then turn around after knowing a guy doesn't want to be a dad, um, knowing that she's having a one-night hookup, fail to control her fertility, fail to manage her fertility, and then turn around and say, but you owe me money for 18 years because I'm choosing to retain custody of this baby. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's not a right she should have. Personally, no. I would advise guys in that situation, if you even give half of a shit about the baby, go for custody because you, are, you have produced a child with um, an irresponsible slug. And if you don't want your child to be raised by an irresponsible ch slug, it's on you to take responsibility and remove your child from the control of that slug. Um, there's, you know, that's, I, I would tell my son, you have no complaints if you put your child in that circumstance and then you don't rescue your child from that circumstance. You have no complaints about what happens to that child. Mm -hmm. um, and it's tough talk for men, but... You cannot just trust women. No. You should never just trust women. Never just trust that, well, this one's special. She's nice. I love her. She's going to take care of my baby. Um, she looks like she wants to take care of No. 
No, she's she has chosen already to put your child in a very precarious circumstance. Mm-hmm. Get custody. You know, and I know it's hard. I know that me saying that you doesn't necessarily mean you can, but at least try. Um, yeah. But yeah, I I pointed out because she she's basically saying her saying yes doesn't um, doesn't uh, equal consent to being pregnant. I said yes, it does. It, it, you're saying yes is consent. You are responsible for what you consented to. Your personal agency and accountability for what you do with your body isn't transferable even if you involve someone else in your actions. You're still 100% responsible for what you do. And what I get back is, during pregnancy, right, can't that consent be revoked? In the middle of pregnancy, I revoke my consent to become pregnant as a result of my choice to have sex. Like, no! I don't, I don't, I don't like this ride anymore! I want to get off! <laughs> yeah. All right. Now this person you brought on very special guest. So why don't you tell us about who this who who your special guest was um for your fireside chat and uh what you guys talked about and why you brought him on. Yeah, so for my fireside chat, uh my special guest was Will Noland. Uh, Will Noland is a very interesting uh, guy. He was a teacher for uh, some time at Eton College, which is a very prestigious uh, school in the UK. Like they've produced uh, prime ministers and um, military leaders, and so like very, very like prestigious school. And it also um, happens to be an all boys school too. And um, one of the things that he told me about Eton College, at least when he started there, was one of the things that he really liked about it was that they were unafraid of engaging in robust debate on any subject, right? It was, it was the dream of what academia should be, essentially. And he was fired from the college. And the reason he was fired was because he did a lecture called the Patriarchy Paradox, where he essentially um, crit criticized the, the sort of feminist definition of patriarchy and talked about how, you know, the logic behind it makes no sense, talked about the nature of men and women um, and all these other things that, you know, feminists would hate. And of course, the women who worked in the school, which I did ask him, why do women work at this school? That's all for boys. I think it's a little bit weird. But um, the women who worked there, they were the ones that basically colluded to get him sacked from Eton College. Since then, uh, he has been very vocal about things like schools, talking about masculinity, talking about family and the need for it. And um, he has had a lot to say. And he's also, you know, pretty well read. He understands history. He talks a lot about uh, various periods in history. He talks about epic poems like Beowulf um, and things like that. So yeah, just a really like really intelligent, um, unashamedly masculine guy that likes to talk about these issues. And uh, he's been doing quite well too. So despite the fact 
that I don't think he's able to find, you know, um, uh, much work in education because so many people don't want him around because they've, you know, not only got him fired, but they also tarnished his reputation. Um, it doesn't seem to be holding him back. He still continues to support a pretty big family. I think he's got like six kids and a, a loving wife who was, I guess she was a celebrity in her own right, like um, a model or a dancer or something. I, I'm sorry, I can't remember. But um, yeah, and he's been, like I said, very vocal. He even spoke at the International Conference on Men's Issues, the most recent one that just uh, aired a couple months ago. So that's basically the short version on Will Noland. All right, so stay tuned for Will Noland on masculinity, history, and the coming fall. Fireside Chat, number 198, with Brian Martinez and, of course, Will Nolan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Honey Badger Radio. I hope you are, are, are all doing well this morning, this afternoon, this evening, whatever it may be. Uh, my name is Brian Martinez, and this is the Fireside Chat, and I am joined by a very special guest, Mr. Will Noland. Uh, who is a, well, I don't, I would like to know, uh, you were a teacher at Eaton. Uh, so tell me a little bit about what you did before. And I'd like to get, a, at least get an overview of the story of how you essentially came to find yourself like on this <laughs> program, mm. really. Yeah, sure. So prior to working at Eaton College, which is probably the UK's most famous school, one of the famous schools of the world as well. It's produced top of my head, something like 21 prime ministers. And it's where most of the leaders of big business come from as well. Historically, it sent a lot of people into very high positions in the military too. So it's one of the big kind of engine rooms of British culture. Mm. Prior to working there, I'd always been in education for the last 15 years or so various types of schools and then at Eton what excited me most was the culture of debate and the idea that all ideas are going to be subjected to rigorous open discussion every boarding house there has got a room in it called debate so it's a place where free speech is seen as being centrally important to education and George Orwell writer many people know went there to study as a boy and one of his sayings is that if liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they don't want to hear. And that's really why when I was sacked, the story became as big as it did because I was sacked for telling a woke colleague what she didn't want to hear. Hmm. And the form that took was a defense of patriarchy. Now, the specifics about what caused the upset were left quite vague, to be honest. And I never really got the chance to speak with the member of staff who complained. I don't know who complained. I just know that the talk was deemed to be offensive to women. And this is despite the fact that many female colleagues came forward in my defense saying that they didn't mind the talk, especially as material for debate. So it seems to be that it offended a very specific mindset. Of course. Some people identify as being the female mindset, but isn't shared by all women. Now, what was the patriarchy being defended? 
Well, I was aware that students get over the course of their five years there, plenty of arguments for the idea that patriarchy is merely a social construct and an oppressive one at that. Something that men have conspired together to oppress women with. But if you look into the literature on evolutionary anthropology, that isn't what patriarchy is at all. Patriarchy instead is rooted in biology, not mere social constructs. And that's why it's universal, worldwide and history-wide. All societies have been patriarchies. There's never been a matriarchy. That's the established canonical position of evolutionary anthropology. It's one that upsets people and they haven't often heard, but it's true nevertheless. And pointing out some of these facts to students on the college's leading flagship debating course, where they're supposed to be presented with lectures that get them thinking, and the expectation is they argue back against the lecturer. Even in that context, these were ideas that were deemed too dangerous for discussion because they might upset a member of staff. And fundamentally, the power that men have, or at least used to have, in the public sphere was a reward for their service of women in the private sphere. So a man gains status through being a good father, a good husband, and good for the wider community as well. And women retain the power in the home, in the domestic sphere. So the two sexes are working in symbiosis. It's not as simple as saying that men are the privileged ones, men are the oppressors. After all, men are the ones conscripted to die in frontline combat, and no country has ever demanded that of women. And you can scarcely imagine a greater privilege than exemption from conscription. So it's interesting that that simplistic narrative of men versus women has been advanced and has been used to agitate the relationship between the two sexes, when really it was about harmony between the two and trade-offs. And what's that mm. trade-off based on, really? Well, ultimately, it's the biological fact that women are the limiting factor in reproduction, and men compete with each other to gain access to that. Men are motivated largely by sex, ultimately. And women recognizing this can get men to compete in ways that do things for women. And this is largely what men's status seeking is about, at least from the point of view of evolutionary psychology. A career, gaining status in society, these are all proxies for signaling that you might be a good provider as a family man. What are some of the tips that you would give if there was somebody here that was watching regarding homeschooling your child or at least being a part of their growth? Because if, if they have sons, they may not be getting what they need from public schools. Yeah, so that short was actually in response to a question asking, how should I best homeschool my son? So that's why I was focusing so much on boys. Now, the first thing I'd say is, it's a mistake for a parent to think that just because the child goes to a state-run school that the parent isn't homeschooling. You're homeschooling whether your child goes to school or not. You're doing it especially if they only have school at home, but you're still doing it as well if they go to school. So in both cases, remember that you are the child's primary educator. 
why are parents the child's primary educator? Well, one reason is that they care more about the child than the state. They know more about the child than the state, and they can give the child more attention than the state can. So it's never going to be able to compete with you. A small amount of parental focus and care is going to be far greater than what the child's getting from a teacher in a class of, I don't know what they are in the US, but in the UK, you often get classes in the low 30s to mid 30s. It's not that uncommon. So the teacher doesn't often know the child very well at all. So with boys in particular, what you've described is very common. The atmosphere in the classroom is fairly feminized in that the ideal is someone who doesn't call out, sits very still and follows instructions the entire time. But boys tend to be disagreeable, tend to be very active. They tend to want to do a bit more rough and tumble. Their brains compared to girls' brains develop slower and their linguistic capabilities and their ability to recognize facial expressions and read people's body language is also worse. So they're mainly focused on things like movement, tracking objects in space quickly, which is why some of them love video games so much. And some of them are quite hyperactive and you can easily get diagnosed as being ADHD as a boy when actually all you're displaying is normal masculine restlessness, the desire to conquer nature, the desire to move, feel your muscles, feel space, navigate, fight, play. All these things are seen as bad behavior. Mm-hmm. And it's quite sad to see that so many boys are being pigeonholed as problems when actually they're healthy. So in some cases, it's going to be more sport. In the UK, sport has largely disappeared from many schools. There are really? some schools, normally ones you have to pay a lot of money to go to, which still have a lot of sport in the program. I'm happy to say that Eton was one of them. And the kids often got the opportunity to have two hours of rugby or football or tennis or swimming or rowing on a few days a week. But I've worked in some schools where that's certainly not the case. And a boy is not supposed to be, especially as he's going through his teenage years, spending most of his day sitting at a desk being quiet. So activity would be tip number one, more sport, get the boy doing hard things and then praise him for pushing through that discomfort and suffering because it's going to develop that fortitude and strength of character that is such an important part of masculinity. Fighting for things that are worthwhile, even if it involves an element of personal discomfort. Reading is an especial difficulty for the reasons that I mentioned earlier. Boys tend to have generally worse linguistic capabilities than girls throughout life. Um, Spelling in particular, dyslexia is more common in boys. So is Asperger's and autism, which again can cause problems with ideas about how you interpret different words. Boys tend to be very literal and harness what they naturally enjoy, which tends to be more action and adventure orientated stories. So something like Jane Austen, although it might be great for adult men to read, to learn about the failures of a weak father figure, for example, that's one of the great themes of Austen's novels. I'd recommend people look at her for that reason alone. But for a young boy, looking at gossip around tea parties and what so-and-so said about so-and-so's dress. That's not particularly interesting. They want to hear things about a quest to defeat some kind of monster often. Now, that's sometimes really an internal quest. Who are you? 
find out who you are through pushing up against your limits. And this is why some questions like explorers going up a mountain to see if they can get to the top, but also in the process, weeding out their own weaknesses and weaknesses within the group. Those kind of adventure stories can really connect to boys in a way that the material they're often given can't. So don't feel that there's a list of things that the boy has to read. See what he's interested in and follow that instead. It might be comic books to begin with, but you'll see there it's often some kind of good versus evil struggle. Batman and the Joker, for example. There are reasons for that too. He's interested in conflict. He wants something good to fight for, something bad to fight against, because fighting is part of being a boy. But I think that the impulse, the impulse to frame the world this way is far older than that, even if it didn't have that as a name. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's right. And the point about Rome and its relevance today is that one of the things that was occurring around the time of Rome's decline was a weakening of male authority. And when you get that weakening of male authority, then because nature abhors a vacuum, and that includes power vacuums, you get women responding to the abdication of that male duty. And this is what destabilizes society. You get some of the Roman satirical writers complaining that women are um, emulating men rather than trying to be true to themselves and feminine. And in emulating men, the line was that the woman succeeds not so much in acquiring his strength as his weaknesses. So this is the idea that feminism really shortchanges not only men, but women as well, because it's ultimately a form of misogyny, because you're expecting women to become like men, and that's bad for society. One of the main ways it was bad in Rome was falling fertility rates. That's one of the primary symptoms of civilizational decline, and it's what we're seeing today, especially in the developed Western world. So with the US and the UK, for example, fertility rates are both around 1.5, and the replacement level is 2.1. So this is a problem. And if you compare that to the um, African Islamic nations, they are far, far higher. And what will happen is that feminist societies will just literally be outbred. And then people will find out what a form of patriarchy that and their eyes genuinely is very toxic would look like, but you can't, um, you can't beat uh, demographics in that sense. Demography is destiny. When you look at it that way, that's what Rome found because it no longer had the uh, number of citizen soldiers to defend itself, to maintain its empire. The empire's boundaries ended up being defended largely by mercenaries and the barbarian tribes were given land in response to as reward for their service, but they had no real stake in the society. They weren't fundamentally Romans. They weren't culturally Romans. Rome didn't mean much to them. And you lose that sense of community, that sense of integrity. They haven't got skin in the game, which is literally what having children means. 
So the ideal of the Roman citizen was when the uh, empire was flourishing, the father who cares about something more than just his own selfish desires and satisfactions, who cares about the society stretching forwards into the future, and also honors his own ancestors back into the past as well. So democracy extends through time. It's not just this one impulsive set of gratifications that you seek in your own individual lifetime. It's this sense of posterity as well. But it lost that. And the failure to take on the duty of children and some of the women in ancient Rome uh, gave us the reason for not wanting kids that it might ruin their looks. Yeah. So there's a selfishness to that. And we see that today as well in the prioritizing of career, essentially just financial rewards over the deeper and more profound and fundamental rewards of child rearing. By making it easier to get sex, uh, women have removed the main motivator for men to pursue things like education, careers, because why bother? Yeah. If it's easier to get, why would you go through the hardship? Before that was the motivator. So this means that most men aren't going into families. Instead, they're just perpetual bachelors. Some of them, it's just porn, but others, if it's not porn or prostitutes, it's just going to be a string of many women. And then men can do that for a long time because men tend to acquire, if they're successful, more status, more money throughout their lives. But women have a window from about age 16 to 25 where it's real kind of peak fertility, which is why men tend to go for younger women. And then around age 30, 35, it tends to decline rapidly, most notably after 35. And that's when you start to see that many women realize, okay, I've prioritized my career during my prime child rearing years. Now I need to try and have a child quickly. But then the men are interested in women in their 20s still. So that's when some of the real sadness comes in. And I think uh, pity is the appropriate response to people who've been duped by the feminist narrative. And we're back again. And here is a bonus round. Wrangler Star experiences disrespect. YouTuber Wrangler Star experiences disrespect from a young lady, and young lady, and we explain why. Breaking Badger. All right, hello everybody, and welcome to Honey Badger Radio. And my name is Brian. I'm here with Allison, and this is well. I put it in as a Breaking Badger because we're basically yeah, that's just, fine. yeah, we're just gonna jump on this subject, I guess, while the iron is hot so um allison you're the one yeah. who found this thing do you want to set up the clip well actually i, I was yeah, sure i somebody sent this to me on twitter and i looked at it and it's an example a perfect example of what i would like to call feminist directed interaction so essentially this individual who has a snowplow and equipment to get people's trucks or cars unstuck from the snow got this woman's or young lady's car unstuck. She didn't say a word and simply left. Like yep. she during this process, she didn't say a single word. She just apparently just sat in her car and let these men uh, work, which is, I don't know. I'm socially awkward, but that feels unbelievably awkward. 
Mm-hmm. I'm just going to let you, I'm just going to let you do what you're doing to your, my car and just not, not talk to you at all. Okay. Let's, let's finish this up. All right. I'll take. So, okay. So she just pulled off after that. Mm-hmm. And now this is the guy who I guess owns the channel. Wrangler um, star. Yep. Yeah. Wrangler explain. star. Can I talk about what his experience was and his thoughts? I'll tell you what, guys. The entitlement, or the attitude of entitlement of some of these young women uh, is breathtaking to me. Uh, I'm not looking for a pat on the back. I, I don't care about that. But there is some societal norms. I guess you'd call it common decency. If someone pulls you out of the ditch, you could say thank you or acknowledge the fact that that you don't just even acknowledge them. Uh, I walked up there to put my gear away, gave me the evil eye, uh, and drove off, uh, and not a word. All right. Uh, just pausing there yeah. for the banana and stuff. But Well, I'm pretty sure that he's probably not going to come after us for a copyright. But yeah, that's uh, that's his description of the scenario. And I just want to play a little bit more before we discuss okay. it. Because, yeah. Flipped around. Ran through here so fast it sprayed us and covered us with uh, water and slush. So she she peeled out so quickly yep. that she actually got she you know slush sprayed them sprayed them Slushed basically them. yeah as as she was driving she slimed off. them yeah. And I just want now that moment, that moment. Mm -hmm. Now that's pain. Like you can see it in in his his face and how he's breathing. That's pain. He extended himself to help this young woman out of the snow, and she completely dehumanized him by ignoring him utterly. This is, I mean, this is, this is, this is abuse. Like this is, I'm going to come right out at at this. This is beyond discourtesy. This is abuse. To have someone extend themselves to help you out of a situation. And then you respond, you, you, you respond by simply treating them like a predator. And I call, I'm going to call this now, Feminist directed interaction. This young woman was engaging in a feminist directed interaction. And feminists want to control every single human interaction. They want to control every interaction between men uh, men interacting with other men, men interacting with women, women interacting with men, and women interacting with other women. They want to control it all. And they want everybody to interact with each other based on their playbook and their playbook is a distortion of men's nature and women's nature because women are not defined as victims of men they're co-creators of society with men okay they're not victims of men and men are not predators of women but that's how women uh, feminists want to define every single interaction between people in society in my 20s i don't know that i would even get married 
I, I mean, I don't know how you could even, I don't know where this ends, but it's not going to end well for women. It's you not going to end up for anyone. Let's be honest. A man can go out and live anywhere and do anything. I can get together with a group of guys elk hunting camp, and there, there's nothing a woman offers me that, uh, apart from be able to the ability to reproduce, that I can't do myself and with my fellow brothers. But it's not the other way around. I just don't see anyone out here other than men plowing the snow and up in bucket trucks in the middle of the night, um, and furnace guys coming out can and it, can I say guys that? putting. Yeah. Okay, there are women who do this. But don't get excited, women who don't. The women who do this actually really appreciate the men who do it as well. Because they know what goes into it. And yeah. the further yeah. into discomfort and, and potential harm that you get, the fewer women you see until you see none. Until it's all men. Mm -hmm. But those women who go a little bit further into the periphery, into the, the uncomfortable periphery, you know, those women who even just open their minds to the experience of men and actually read about how men experience the world, those women do not promote feminist-directed interaction of resentment, a lack of gratitude, a lack of humbleness, a lack of recognition. Okay? So I just wanted to put that out there. So don't look to us. Don't look to us women who are actually trying to understand men's situation or actively doing things like, you know, slinging concrete and uh, and shoveling snow and fixing lines. Don't look to us to support your narrative, feminists. Okay, keep mm -hmm. going. Snow tires on and mechanics keeping cars running. I, I see men doing that. And we will be respected. We will be respected or we'll walk away from it. This is a cautionary tale. I think something's changing, and I don't know what's gotten into the head of some of these women. It's but changed. That just, what I just experienced there mm. was, I mean, that was to a whole new level. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And yeah. And this, is, this is very common. Like I said, this man is lucky because he has a wife that has gratitude, that has care and concern for him, that can support his mental health. But most men don't. Most men, their interaction with women, with the people who set the tone, like li literally women decide how men are received by society. And men know that. Mm -hmm. It's called, it's, it's women set the social value that men have. And men's majority of interactions with women are like that now, because they're all feminist directed interactions. And you wonder why the world is going insane. When you realize that feminist interacted interactions are now occupy the vast majority of human interactions in society, they've won. They got the center of the chessboard. They define how women interact with men, and it's bad. It's paranoid. It's lacking in gratitude. It's resentful. It's hateful. It's treating them like predators. They've done it. They've won. And now what we are all winning from allowing them to to gain the center of the chessboard is social insanity. You were out there shoveling, that's my job. Well, you don't shovel, you use the machine. I do, I, whatever you, you needs to be done. You realize that I'm like the one with the... I know, it. Midwest, Midwest Scandinavian stock, they're tough. Well, so I, I did what I could and then I sent my teen stock. <laughs> <laughs> you guys doing all right in here? We're doing great. Power, power came back on? Just like two minutes ago. <laughs>
It did, so it was out for almost like eight, 10 hours. No, it was out it's last no night. no longer since last night, yeah. Yeah. It's really fun. All right, well, anyway, so even though he had a lot of cause to gripe, I thought it was really interesting that he did not want to leave it on a downer note and wanted to, even despite everything, still essentially show appreciation or to his wife for showing appreciation to him so that he can show us how you, you know, how it should be. So he basically mm -hmm. becomes, he takes this experience and then flips it and says, you know what? I'm going to demonstrate how this is a positive example of how these interactions should go. And he, mm -hmm. you know, puts this clip of his, of his smiling wife in the closing because he doesn't want even though there's plenty of cause for men to be bitter he doesn't want that for them because he knows that it's you know it eats away at you and someone's got to be the better person here so that young woman who peeled out when he pulled her out of the snow she's not going to do it so he feels like well it's on me and i'm going to do it which is what men do Welcome to the subterranean lair, under the subterranean lair. Everywhere we go, men are being shamed. They're being shamed for being men, for being masculine, for their interests, for their lack of interest, for how they express their emotions, or don't express their emotions at all. You want to just suck it up and tough it out. But that's shame, too. Being stoic is the reason why women are hurt, don't you know? Or at least that's what they say. Imagine a community where men don't need women's permission to be men, where women have men's back, because as strong as you are, sometimes you need someone to notice you and take a moment to show that they care. Imagine the Honey Badger Radio community, men and women coming together to be their best selves and support each other overcoming all the messages that men and masculinity are bad and to blame for the world's ills. If you're interested in joining that community, and taking your place by our side, helping us build a more compassionate, a more just, and just plain funny world, then go to feedthebadger.com. Support our community. Take part. Help us build something great together. The world needs masculinity. It needs men. It needs you. We recognize that. Support that recognition. Feedthebadger.com. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.